This is an action-adventure story that's um, a little bit different than what they've seen in the in the episode films. I think it's a little grittier. I think um, there's a, a, a genre we're playing with here that steps a little bit outside of what people are used to with Star Wars films. So I think that's going to be exciting to not only the fans but to the audience because I think they'll recognize that there are things that are just familiar enough, but it but it really becomes a new kind of experience. Welcome to the Vintage Rebellion Podcast. I'm Stuart Skinner, your host for the show, and you are listening to episode 29, Bespin Box Flats. Of course, it wouldn't be the same without the Fab Four. Joining me as always, an R5 D4 Focus Collector, a loose completist, and he loves a good ducking. It's Richard Hutchison. Good evening, Rich. Evening, guys. Next up, our Star Wars completist, from props and autographs to toys and stationery. A TIE Fighter Pilot Focus Collector, it's Grant Criddle. Good evening, sir. So oh, Steve! That's better. <laughs> Next is our Empire Oddball Collector, with a passion for the women of the wars. Our market expert, who lives in a shed, it's Peter Davis. Good evening, Peter Weedy. I'm not an expert, Stu. But you do live in a shed. I do live in a shed. And finally, a man. It's Jez. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you've got. Good evening, Stu. Good evening, lads. Good evening, everyone. Finally, a man. That's, that's better than what I would have called Rich. Yeah, man, a man. <laughs> right, you know we all do research, except for the podcast. Well, whilst I was looking up some information on this month's interviewee, Todd Hudson, I chanced across a post on Rebel Scum from December 2013. Now, the thread was the one that uh, typically pops up at the end of each year. You know, it was asking what your highlights were from 2013, and what you were hoping for in 2014. Uh, does anyone know what I'm going on about? Nope. nope. Not that often. <laughs> yeah, the review the review threads. Yeah, basically, yeah. Thank you, Rich. Well, Grant, you responded on this thread in 2013. You named a couple of items you had purchased in 2013, some of the tie pilot items, etc. Then in your hopes for 2014, you'd written something which had me crying. Do you remember what you had hoped for that Christmas, Grant? World peace. Close. Grant, number one on your hopes for 2014, you had written this sentence, okay? I would really like to make some friends in the Star Wars community. Oh. Oh. That's so lovely. <laughs> one epic fail that was. I was going to say, you could keep on dreaming, G-Unit. <laughs> did, did you not have any friends at all in the Star Wars community? Oh. <laughs> no, I just had, I just had acquisitions. 
the podcast started four months later. You were really throwing yourself into the friendship making. Is that why you applied? I feel <laughs> sorry for Grant now. Can we go back and give him a lovely hug? I went from minus four Facebook friends to minus one. Let's go on to our acquisitions for this month. Let's start with... Uh, let's start with someone who used to be a collector of mint on cards. Now he isn't. Jez. Why did you always start with me? That was the difficult one. You could have just inserted me in the middle. And I don't mean that in a literal sense, or that's certainly not prison talk. What I meant to say is just, you know, get someone who's obviously bought something like Rich... And then, you know, maybe Pete, and then insert me, and then and uh. finish with Grant, and that would be nicely rounded. Don't start with me. Come back to me in a minute. Jez, are you saying you've not bought anything this month? <laughs> no, 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 I'm just saying. Oh, God. Anyway, what have I bought? I've only gone and bought myself a ticket to Orlando. So whilst Ooh. I've not bought anything necessarily vintage in the last month, I have got myself a return ticket to Orlando so I can go to Star Wars Celebration next year. It's a massive treat. That could be the beginning of something really, really cool. So I'm mega, mega delighted that I've bought that. Oh, and the other thing I've bought is, well, a house, which is quite vintage in itself because I think it was built in the 60s. So uh, I think I out-vintage all of you. Rich, what have you bought? What have I got? I got a Corded Rebel Commando and was quite pleased. I got that as part of my um, under £50 collection. I managed to get a loose burgundy Liddy Leddy squid head, which I've been after for quite a while. I just need to get the before tuna and then I'm, I'll be complete with my Leddy collection. I've got a nice Palatoy 20 back R5D4, which was really nice and uh, a stunner. I got a German Vader display bus, which we'll talk about later on. And finally, my PPB book arrived. So I'm glad that come to the post and Stu, you're bang on right. That's a, a cracking book. Rich, where you say you've nearly completed your Leddy collection, is this the same as in Christmas 2004 when you completed your loose collection but have then gone on and added 84 pieces since? <laughs> I think you're probably fair to see on that. I don't think I'll ever complete the Leddy collection. I've um, only got two. Let's go to Grant. Let's see now. I have bought some crew wear. Uh, so I've managed to pick up an ILM First Order Episode 7 jacket, which I've been after for some time. And I managed to get myself a Rogue One construction cap. Not to get, it's just a cap. It's not like a construction hat, like a plastic hard hat. It's just a cap. You know, with that cracking looking trailer, I'm really after that Rogue One stuff now. You've got a Rogue One trailer as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've got Grant. a Genesis trailer. Grant, when you get these caps, have they been worn? No. I think you could like find some DNA in there and you know claim you've got a piece of the film. A few hairs. It's a pretty cool cap. I'm sure there'll be some DNA in there soon. Someone that lowers it. Uh, Pete, let's go to you for your acquisitions. Uh, not too much, really. I've, I've been a bit like Grant. Well, not like Grant, but like Grant. Been getting just a Rogue One, just the standard figures. Just trying to get all the. I decided on this film, I'm going to collect all the 3.75, five points articulation, bog standard. Rogue One carded figures. So they've been popping up and I've been snatching them up. They were actually quite cheap. Empire Strikes Back was just the book I put on late its acquisitions on the on the forum, the German book with a crazy cover. Um, check that out, it's quite mad. Um, that's it really. They've just kind of been, you know, lots of expense that's next couple of months. So And uh, I'm, I'm still half tempted to go to Orlando trying to sort out flight and hotel. But there we go. Hopefully I will. That's it really, Stu. But what about you? Not a lot actually. I have bought... I've got a Mexican bootleg Greedo, but I don't think that's classed as vintage. I think it's early 90s. I don't really know much about them. The HC Ford 
pencil top display box with around the 24 pencil tops in, so I need to complete that. And just a um, Clipper R2 and 3PO clip together models in their boxes, which are in nice condition. Apart from that, I've just got a couple of pieces of Sigma on the way, but I'll discuss them when I've got them in hand. Right, so on to this month's question, and I've taken the reins on this. And I was having a little think about what we were going to do. And then one night I was uh, sitting there thinking about alphabetic spaghetti, alphabet and I decided to do an alphabet-type quiz. So huh. you're going to be in teams of two, but you will answer on your own. We're going to go through the alphabet, except the letters X and Z, and the huh. answer to your question will start with the letter of the alphabet, and the alphabet will be in order. You will get purely five seconds to answer, and no longer. Now, in your team, so let's say, for example, Jez was with Pete, and oh, Pete, no, and Pete answered the question that Jez didn't agree with, Jez, you can shout out after he answers, overall, and you can answer the question, but you only get three overalls per team, okay? Once they're gone, they're gone. That's all very well and good, but you said, for example, Jez is with Pete, and Pete just groaned. <laughs> well, <laughs> so we see who's going to be on the teams, right? So what I've got in front of me, okay, I've got four figures, two on the left and two on the right. The four figures are 8D8, FX7, 21B, and Power Droid. They're already set out in their teams, so I'm going to ask you one by one what figure you want, and that will determine what player you are and what team you're in. So, Pete, which one would you like of those four? Oh, Power Droid. Overall. Power Droid. Pete, you are player one on team one, okay? Oh! So you'll be going first in a minute. Which one would you like from the remaining three? FX7. Rich, you are player one on team two. Jez, you're either going to be with Rich or Pete. Would you rather have 88 or 21B? Uh, 2-1-B. Jez, you are player two on team two. You are with Rich. Uh, Grant, would you, what figure would you like? 80, You've got a I choice want, of 88. I want 88. 88. Good yeah. call, Grant. Good call. Let's do this. Pete, what yeah. A is a ship that was only available in a droids box, although the pilot had been released in a previous line? Overruled. Oh, go on, quickly. Grant? A-wing. That's correct. That's one overall gone. Rich, you got the letter B. Which B is the character piloting the desert sail skiff on the front of the box art? Barada. It was Boba Fett. <laughs> Grant, you got the letter C. Which C was the name of the three-pack that contained Warus Man? Cantina. Creature set. Oh. Jez, your first question is the letter D. In the Ewoks range, which D has the following text on their coin? Stills low graze potions by becoming invisible with magic soap. Wicked. Overrule. It begins Do with D. <laughs> Richard, <laughs> overrule. Richard, what do you think the answer is? Dulock. Which one? Well, oh. begin with the D. Dulock. There's two Dulocks in that range. Running out of time. Dulock scout is incorrect. It's Dulock shaman. Right. Oh. So after the first go round, it is one nil to team one. Go on, Grant. I mean, go on us. Go on, Grant. Go on. And one overall gone. Oh no, one overall each gone. Yeah. Very, very. Wicked. <laughs> <laughs> right, Pete. Back to you. You got the letter E. Oh, hello there. Sorry, letter what? Sorry. E. Which E was a vintage toy that had an opening and closing mouth feature? Overall. <laughs> go for it. EV99. It is correct, Grant. EV99. Didn't give me a chance. You might want to an answer first, and rather than wasting the overall. I counted. I counted five seconds. Rich, you have got the letter F. What F was a Darth Vader thunderous torch? 
Um, that's five seconds. Time, time is up. It was it was the only firework actually that was released in the vintage Good range. Call. Right, who have we got next? Grant, you've got the letter G. That's my name. Like, and this one's easy as well. Which G held the Star Wars license in Brazil? Gaslight. Correct. Well done. Jez. Yes. Not. It wicked. begins with an H. It's not Wicket. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Which H made his debut on the Return of the Jedi seventy-seven back card? That's five seconds. Overall, hard trench cord. That is correct, Rich. Well done. Ooh. Well done. Good overall. Well My head full of carpets and kitchen cabinets at the moment. <laughs> I need to get in the game. Okay, so you've all had two goes each now. It is 3-1 to Team 1. Right. Whose go is it? Pete. It's probably <laughs> the hardest question of them all. Yes! That's unusual for Pete. <laughs> Let's see if Grant overall... Oh, 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 hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Jess, how many questions have you got right? <laughs> I'm just saying, over the series of podcasts, you get generally answered. Oh, really? really? Um, is it hand solo or hand double? And, you know, relatively easy questions. Right. I, I feel a bitterness from Don't the forget, uh, army boy. You've only yeah. got one overall left this team, okay? Which I was the company who produced Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back wallpaper in the UK? Icarus. Pete, have you got a guess? Uh, I'm going to go for Icarus. Any overall? No, that is incorrect. Oh. It was Imperial Chemicals Limited. <laughs> Which, oh, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. crud. Yeah, Maybe look like that. a jazz. <laughs> Rich. Right, Rich, you can get a point back here. You can edge in. From, you've got J. From which J were space alloy toys available? Japan. That is correct. Well done. Ooh. Well done, Rich. Really good. Well done. <clears throat> Grant, you've got the letter K, an easy one. What K made C3PO's cereal? No, no. I, oh, Kellogg's. That's well done. Couldn't have had that one. Yeah, you should have had that one. Yeah, just, give that one point. to me. It's the way they're drawn, wasn't it? Depending on what figure you pulled out. That's what he's saying now, eh, Grant? Must make me feel better. Jezebel. Jezebel, you've got the letter L. Oh. Squidhead can be seen in which other Return of the Jedi cardback image as well as on his own? Lando Skiff. That is incorrect. It is oh. Luke Skywalker Jedi Knight. So, oh, halfway what? there, it's 4-2 to Team 1. Pete and Grant, you're weed in the way. Oh, but they yeah, don't have yeah. overalls left. They've got no overalls left. <laughs> They've got one overall yeah, left. You've no, got they have one. No, yeah. rewind it. No, because no, Grant no, said Grant, Icarus. Yeah, Grant, he jumped Grant, in, Grant. And, then, and then Pete yeah. still went with the answer. Yeah, that's an overall. That's no, an I'm, overall. I'm in charge. I think you're fine. He didn't say overall. He just said it. It's wrong anyway. Right, we're going to start cheating, Rich. Okay. Yeah, we're going to use text chart. Pete, you've got the letter M. Which M turned down the Star Wars action figure license in 1976 before Kenner took it on? Um, Mego. That is correct. Well done, Peter. Yes. Well done. Mm. Yes. Rich, you've got the letter N. Okay. Tip Top Frozen Treats came with free Ewok Return of the Jedi stickers in which country? I know. Netherlands. Ooh, he's wrong. Grant, do you have a guess just for fun? New Zealand. It is. Well, oh. well, 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 hold on, can I just say that Jez shouted over rule, and I'm pretty sure I his did. answer was I going did. to be in New Zealand. I did, you it was it absolutely things, New Zealand, because the only other thing in my head was Nicaragua, and I thought, no, Nicaragua! I am the person who's in charge here. I did not hear Jez, <laughs> and you two have just said, in front of all of us, let's cheat. 
So I'm afraid <laughs> yeah. that you are incorrect. You got oh, to yeah. overrule good. straight away, and Jez didn't. Good, good yeah. quizmastering, quizmaster. Yeah. I heard no overrule, but I glanced spoke over him. Grant, you've yeah. got the letter O, oh, okay? Oh. Mm-hmm. What O did promotional kits offered to dentists include in patient motivation pamphlets? Oral oh, 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 That is correct. Oh, well done. Awesome. Jez, oh. you've got the letter P. <laughs> Perhaps Richard's kind of carried you to two points. Let's see if you can pull your finger out and then help out your team. Because <laughs> at the moment, you're the only one with no correct answer. Oh. Yeah, well, just, just tell me the question. Okay. Which P is the only figure with this initial that comes with a cloth cape. Prune face. Well done, Jez. He's arrived. Oh. We're back to Pete. Oh, my goodness. Pete, you've got the letter Q. Oh, what? what Overruled. The... <laughs> what does the Q stand for when it appears on an AFA grading? I've no idea. Overruled. <laughs> Overruled, Grant. <laughs> It means that it hasn't been sealed by the normal No, means. I don't want the explanation. No. I want what the Q no. stands for. No, qualified. Qualified is correct. Thank you. Overall, all gone. God, he gives you the wrong answer, then you give him a clue and change it. No, I didn't give him a clue. <laughs> I just said all I want is the word, what it stands for. But he thought that's the I'm giving on. him a clue. Move on. I love the Move fact on. that they clearly listened to last month's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rich, let's see if you can answer one without being argumentative. <laughs> Rich, you got R. Which R is sitting upon a tonton on the split belly tonton ESB box? Mm. <sighs> Five, oh. seconds. Five seconds. Overruled. I'm sorry, but that's bad grammar. Time up. Time up. Which R? Time up, Rich. I had said overruled. Yes. Rebel soldier. No. That is incorrect. It is the rebel commander. Oh, my word. Um, He started off as a soldier. This is bad English. Which R is sitting upon a tom-tom on the split-belly tom-tom box? What's wrong with it, Rich? You don't say which R. Which R? Which R? R is the letter you... (laughs) Come on. At the beginning of all of these questions, which Q... You see, it's slowing us down with that. Slowing us down is perfect English. What's wrong with that? Grant, you have got S. Come on, Grant. The Cantina Adventure set was an exclusive for which S? Oh, it was a chance thing of where the questions fell, Rich. <laughs> Jez, can, your your teammate is falling apart here. <laughs> I want to Stuart and Craig into this. You've rattled him. You've rattled him. Can you uh, get him back on the straight and narrow? You've got a very easy one here, Jez. T. Which T from the droids line came with oh, a medical what? staff? Set up. Go on. Which T from the droids line came with a medical staff? Um, which T? Uh, T. Bow. Is incorrect. There's no overalls left. It is Tig from. Who, who is that in the real world? The final four questions. And who we got first? Pete, you've got the letter oh. U. Oh. Probably the easiest one that's left on the sheet. Oh. No, no, don't that. Give me a hard one. Which U was a manufacturer that produced an unlicensed Star Wars line in Turkey? Uzai. Well done, Peter Weasley. Rich, okay, you all right, mate? Yeah. Just these quizzes, Rich, they don't matter. They're just waters off a duck's back, okay? Just let them go, okay? <laughs> right, the letter V. According to Sansweet's action figure guide, which V is the correct name for the weapon packed with the Gamorrean Guard? The Vibro Act. Oh, well done, Richard. See? So easy. Grant, you've got W. Go on, Grant. Which go on, Grant. W was an Ewok available in the plush Wokling line? Oh, go on, Grant. That is incorrect. He was just in the plush line. This was the Watlings. Does anyone want to just have a guess? 
Whip Ooh, it. Yeah, hang on. Whip it. No. We no. talked about this a couple of months back when we talked yeah. about Rockley. Willie. No. Willie. Willie is correct. Yeah, but Willie. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, Jez, you have got a chance here to really close it up. Oh, not win. Yes, Right, you've got why, Jez, yeah? Which why, and when I say why, I'm not talking about the word why, like we've had a confusion earlier from your team. It <laughs> is just the letter, okay? okay? Which why released a set of trading cards in Japan? Yamatsu. Yamatsu. I've got them. Yamatsu. Yakamatsu. What, what are you saying there? Yakamatsu. Y- are you saying a Yakamatsu? Yes. Well, you're saying Yakamatsu. That is incorrect. It is Yamakatsu. You've got the M and the K around the wrong way. I'm afraid oh, it's useless. I can't accept that answer. So, yeah. Team 1, you have won by nine points to four. You've shamed them. Yeah, Grant, yeah. I did really well. I just knew that I was up against it when we had Pete on the other team. Because, uh, for example, <laughs> um, Pete, are you ready? Yes, correct answer. Um, Pete, your turn. Oh, brilliant. Correct so answer. bitter. So no, bitter. No, no, Jess, no. you feel Rich let you down? No, not at all. Rich is the gaffer. <laughs> Rich is the glue holding us together. And, you know, Rich was patient. He held back and he trusted me. It's about teamwork. It's not just about leadership. It's about followership. Uh, and Rich was there following me and not overruling where he felt unnecessary, trusting me. And in fact, we've grown. I think the podcast has grown from this and we've all you lost. Jez, you lost. Pete had the easiest Stop. questions, yet he um, he had to answer who does um produce the wallpaper. Yeah. Uh, to which, oh yeah, because that—that's that, a really easy one. Everyone knows to which that. They had you? a false use of an inappropriate overrule, to which they then got it wrong, which is rubbing salt into the wounds of being really cruddy. Uh, but um, yeah, you know, I'm not going to labour the point. Uh, but let's let's face it, when well, you're not in Pete's yeah. team, then we'll just paper over the cracks. Do you know what? If I'd asked Rich that um, thing, he would have gone, "What's wallpaper? We just rub our theses over the walls <laughs> up north." <laughs> what does the Q stand for? Well, it stands for the fact that it's not been done. <laughs> I'm not being funny, but we can axe them the point if you want, Jez. They still smashed you by four points. <laughs> well, lads, should we go over to this month's Rebel Briefings? Sandperson Man Echo Base Vader Top Walshmart gets respawned The Rebel Base is on the moon on the far side We are preparing to orbit the planet This evening I'm delighted to be joined tonight by longtime collector Chris Jorgulius. Chris, welcome to the Vintage Rebellion podcast. Thanks Richard, glad to be here. Now in August you posted an incredibly fantastic image on Facebook of a complete Tuscan Raider wax sculpt. Now we've covered wax sculpts before with Tommy Garvey and Ron Salvatore recently, but for our listeners who, could you give a brief overview of the purpose of a wax sculpt and where it fits in the timeline? 
Okay. Well, I guess just really brief, since I know you've covered it more in detail before, but basically the wax sculpt is the first real 3D form of the figure as it makes its way to becoming a toy. You know, before that, really, it's just a drawing on paper. So that is the first step in creating something three-dimensional. And then, then you have the following steps after that that take it to actual production. But that's the first 3D item. Are there different stages of a wax sculpt? It's something I forgot to ask, uh, Ron. Or is it just a case of there's the drawing, there's the wax sculpt, okay, and it just keeps getting refined until it's perfect? There, there are. I mean, some of the guys we've talked to, some of the sculptors we talked to, start in a clay, like something you can really quickly work with, and then go from that and get a very rough rough shape and then make a, a quick silicone mold and then pour wax in that and then start working that wax. In all of our searches, we've only really found a couple of pieces that were clay. A lot of that stuff just got pulled apart and, you know, sort of balled back up or thrown out. But that's one way to get that thing very quickly. I mean, because there's no clays around, really most people consider the wax sculpt the first real step. One other thing they do is working with engineering. Engineering sort of sets the size of the figures, and they work, you know, with marketing with Lucasfilm also. Uh, They would determine, let's say, okay, if Luke Skywalker's three and three-quarter inches, they would scale figures up and down from that. That's why, you know, Chewbacca is taller and Darth Vader's taller and Leia's a little smaller. So they work up and down from that basic size. They, they said, okay, here's our baseline, three and three quarter inch, and then go up and down from there. And then they would work, they would create a buck, which is sort of just like a brass block that's actually would be inside the torso. And it sets the distance shoulder to shoulder, the distance between hips and shoulders, where the neck is. And it's, all these locations are machined into a little piece of brass, basically. And then you have perfect perpendicularity and, and, and parallelism between the different limbs. How and much um, movement would there be on, on these wax skulls for them to be so, you know, like you see, they've got brass inside and they had those those pins. Um, would the design to be moved about? Uh, well, the, the parts are sculpted individually. So you have a torso and the two legs, two arms and the head. And when you're doing the sculpt for those, they would have this little plastic disc with, um, and the plastic disc has a small hole in it. And basically they use standard off the shelf one eighth inch dowel pins, which is about three millimeters, 3.1 millimeters. And their standard length is quarter inch or 6.3 millimeters. Because I know that you guys are in the UK and you use, you use real measurements, not these inches that we have oh, to use here. We switch between the two all of the time, you know. Uh, it's a myth. Yeah, it's I a mean, bit of a myth, that. Anyway, the point is that you have these off-the-shelf little pins and in when you're, and each limb basically has a little plastic disc right at the joint. And that plastic disc provides a perfectly smooth surface which will mate up with an accompanying plastic disc that would be, say, on the torso. So if you're doing a shoulder, you have that buck that's inside the wax. So basically, I should jump back a step. So you had that clay. What they would do is then they would pour the wax. I don't know the exact process for... They would have to set the buck inside. They would make the mold from the clay. They would have to set the buck in there, and then they would pour the wax around it. And then you can... Um, they start carving into it. You get to the get to those contact points like the, the shoulder surfaces but anyway on the on the torso there, there's accompanying plastic discs real small disc i mean they're 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 the size of you know your your pinky nail or something they're, they're very small and 
those would provide uh, smooth, flat surfaces so that the limb or the head or whatever could made up flush to it, and then use that little pin, that dowel pin, to connect them. So, and 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 the, and the plastic discs, the dowel pin would be like press fit into one side, and then the, the disc, say on the arm, would have be a little bit larger hole so that your arms, they can remove the arms and the and the pins stay in the torso. The point is, you you've got this. 3D form that you're working on inside, you know, it's it's got this mechanical piece, just a piece of metal that's got these exact parallel and perpendicular features, so that the sculptor doesn't have to, you know, you can imagine if you're working with something malleable like wax and all that, that you it would be hard to keep two surfaces parallel. So by having that piece inside, it allows them to to be able to work around and and have those as guidelines for distances and whatnot. So you basically have those plastic discs in each of the limbs. You know, they do all the parts separately, and they would fit together. So basically, you know, they, they just pull straight apart. It's just a smooth pin in between it. And all the joints and everything are done at the tooling stage at, in the mold. So the guys that make the mold, they have these standard cutters, standard features that they put in the mold that are the same every time. The arm socket's the same. The, the sockets on the torsos are the same, you know. But the, you don't capture that at the, at the sculpting stage. Or the next stage after sculpting is the hard copy. You know, they make molds of the sculpts and then pour urethane copies and they have more rigid versions to work from. You know, the, the, the wax, is fragile it's not it's not ridiculously fragile it's pretty stable to to a degree you know you, you can't be really rough with it but um the next stage the hard copies are definitely more robust and then and it goes you know to first shot and and from from there but basically all those internal features are done at the mold stage wow that's absolutely fantastic chris and um <laughs> I think, you know, that this is even more surprising that these wax sculpts still exist to this day, you know, because they weren't designed to be kept, were they? Uh, yeah, not not so much. And even at the time, you know, they really didn't really try keeping them. They often got broken. They got reused. They got reworked. They got melted down. I mean, you can imagine from the toy company, it's just kind of heartbreaking. You think from a collector standpoint, everybody's shocked when we tell, when they hear this. They just can't believe that these aren't put in a vault, but it wasn't like that. You know, they were doing these jobs, they throw these things in boxes, and you can imagine that after doing sculpts from all these different lines and all these different, you know, all the girls' toys are going through, all the boys' toys in there are going through, toys they may start one version of and change it, or toys they may start and never go to production with. So you can quickly have a mountain of sculpted pieces and and figures and and it's not just figures it's anything really that was sort of organic um like in star wars it's like a like a playset like a land of the jawas base that would be sculpted or you know as opposed to like the death star which is all very mechanical so all those parts we call it they, they would be wood pattern so they're they're making those like in a machine shop whereas the sculpting is just the guy working with maybe start with the clay but you end up with the, with the wax and that's the biggest thing and the wax itself, the reason they would reuse figures because they had a formula. They would, they had their like the Kenner formula. Like over over time, they developed a blend. You know, there's a certain amount of paraffin wax and beeswax and some other things that they melt in a pot. And they, you know, you, you're basically making this like in a little cauldron, this melted pot. You're stirring it around. You're getting this wax blend that has these properties that make it easy for them to work with, you know, because they're 
in addition to sculpting, you know, they're scratching in it. They're also using what's called a wax pen, which is basically like a, a heated metal tip. And you're using, it almost looks like an old inkwell pen, something like that, you know, and they can melt the wax. So you can, you, you, the, the wax gives them the ability to, to work, work in it in different methods. But because it's kind of a pain to go and make the wax over and over, they could take some old, old parts and just throw them back in and melt them out and start over, you know, just like you were taking old jewelry and melting it down to make a new piece of jewelry. So, but from a collecting standpoint, it's sort of tragic that these things could get melted down, but, you know, that's just part of how they did, did things. Can we start with the torso first, Chris, because I believe you located this back in 1996. What can you tell us about the backstory of that find? Yeah, so actually it was, it was, it was the torso and the arms and the legs. It was, basically, it was a headless figure. And I had gone to Cincinnati and got put in contact with, I was there with Gus Lopez. That was, my, I think, my first trip to Cincinnati to meet some Kenner people. We got put in touch with a sculptor from Steve Denny. He was legendary in his own in his own way, and he had, I don't know how he had met the guy, but basically gave us his name, and we went to visit him, and it was amazing to walk in. You know, he had a curio cabinet that had micro sculpts and and boxes, whatever he brought to his kitchen. It's like, okay, here's what I'm interested in selling, you know, and you just open these boxes and there's parts in this, you know, like, okay, there's mostly Star Wars pieces in these boxes. And, you know, lo and behold, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, here's the Tusken Raider sculptor. There may be sculpts from other lines or other eras, Star Wars eras, other like Empire figures or whatever. Anyway, he was very specific in what he, how many things he wanted to sell. And it's just what he had happened to take home from Kenner. That's when I got the headless figure. So it was everything except the head. And what was amazing is, like, I couldn't believe that the, the thumbs were still intact. I mean, the thumbs on the Taurus Tuscan Raider, I guess, like, a lot of the Kenner ones, that they sort of stick out sideways. And that they had stayed together all that time was really great. And I was happy to have that, you know. And that was, as I said, that was 1996. And, you know, and in the ensuing years, we met more sculptors. And we met him again many times and bought different over a period of years, over a period of many people meeting these guys. And the reason they had these things is I, the sculpting department, basically, like I was mentioning before, you end up with like a lot of stuff that starts build, building up. Basically, the manager came in and says, you guys need to get rid of all this stuff. You know, there's too much stuff. And they're like, shoot, we're just taking it home. So they grabbed these boxes. And this guy happened to grab some. There were Star Wars figures in it. Another guy, you know, you're talking about maybe six or eight people that are like split it up and just took it home because they appreciated these things because it was actually art and um, they didn't want to just throw them out and they certainly didn't really want to melt it down. I mean, it's, it's, it wasn't like they couldn't make the wax. It was easier sometimes for people. If you were in a really hurry to just melt something down and remake it, but they didn't typically do that. That wasn't standard. So anyway, and that's why he walked away and he had some figures, Star Wars pieces, and the Tusken Raider was one of them, and it had no head. But it wasn't strange because there was body parts here and there um, at the time, which is on the Star Wars Collector's Archive, Gus got the Chewbacca sculpting. And it had, there was a couple of hard copy arms in there that we made it up with it, and then that was sort of like a complete figure. And he had those two, but it wasn't really... 
a shock that the arms weren't there. You know, these things, you know, they get broke. Sometimes they get broken when they get pulled out of the molds when they go to the hard copy stage. So we're sort of really lucky that these things sort of got saved. Like they were smart enough to, to take them when, when instead of throwing them out and sort of just keep them around. You know, they didn't really covet these things. It was interesting to see because he had a little, like I said, he had a curio cabinet with micro sculpts in it, but he liked those from the sculpture aspect, four to one size. So, you know, they're, they're presentable. They pose nicely and you can just put a bunch in a cabinet. But the other, the action figures and stuff didn't care. You know, they were just in a box. You can't really display those. But from a collecting standpoint, you know, the collectors like the action figures more. So it's, it's an interesting uh, twist there. Um, but the point is, usually, that was the only case I've ever seen where somebody actually had some on display. Most of those things were in the garage, in the basement, in the workshop, not even in the same place in the house. Sometimes over years of like going to visit people a few times a year, they were like, oh, yeah, I was out in the shed. I found this other stash here. And I found, you know, things got, even when they took it home, sort of got spread out over time. So that's why you end up with a headless piece right there. Right, obviously it's 2016, it's 20 years later, we, we know about wax sculpts and hard copies, but back in 1996, did you have the same kind of level of understanding of pre-production items, and then when you when you saw a wax sculpt, could you fully appreciate what it was back then at the time? Oh yeah, me definitely, you know, we would, I mean, I bought my first pre-production, like I bought Revenge cards in 1991, wow. so I was buying things early on, and I was immediately drawn a lot of people say they got back into collecting, and the first thing they did was finish out their loose set. That wasn't the case for me. The first thing I did when I got into collecting, which was like in 1990, back as an adult, like right before college, or going into college, I immediately started buying carded figures, and I even lumped a lot of my childhood figures and sold them in, as, in loose figure lots as I was amassing carded figures. So immediately, I sort of had that collecting bug. And then when I got into prototypes... That was a huge draw for me. So I was buying from things I'd see in Toy Shop magazine. Um, at the time, the Earth was just starting up in the Cincinnati store. They were buying directly from employees. So, was, you know, I think about my first unproduced droid, unproduced Ewok. I bought Bondo. I think it was 1993. So I was buying things for several years. So by the time 96 rolls around, rolls around and we get the opportunity, it was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. We knew exactly they were really special. And so we started learning more, you know, now that we talked, we could actually talk to the guys who were doing this, the sculptors. How did you get, what were all the stages here? What, what kind of things did you guys do? So now when we talk about it online or wherever, it's all from these conversations we started having in the mid nineties. But for sure, yeah, we were definitely, I mean, we kept it super secret. I mean, that's why, you know, it's 20 years now. I finally mentioned it, you know, you yeah. know, because we kept it very secret. We didn't. We were trying to meet as many of these guys as possible and and track down as much of this material as possible. So even back then, the fact that it didn't have a head, it was still kind of a lure. Yes, it might be slightly disappointing, but it's you know you, you've got a wax sculpt. That's right. You know, for a twelve back, and it's like, oh my gosh, this is this is a twelve back figure, and. Here it is, you know, and it was always special. It was, it was, it was never something that we were oblivious to. It was, and it was immediate understanding and immediate, like, oh my gosh, what else is out here? Who else took things home? What are your buddies' names? <laughs> <laughs> and you go from there, you know, and it goes on and on, and you know, and yeah. So, and I had this piece for a long time, and there it is. It's headless. Yeah. It was, it's nice, you know. It was, you know, it's a little bit of a bummer that it's got no head, but what can you do? That's all that was left. 
it's quite striking the, the level of detail and, and the photographs from Ron are really super quality. So the level of detail in the sculpt is coming out, you know, fantastically super sharp. But the straps on the feet in particular, you know, the level of detail that's went into those is amazing. Are there any other kind of key differences between that and the regular production figure? I can't tell you that I've sat down with with a like a magnifying glass going back and forth trying to see every difference. But but that's a good thing you pointed out, and that's things we've noticed over the years and things that were pointed out to us that because of the processes, they couldn't capture all these really fine details as they go up to the to make the molds. And in fact, when even making the molds, they and I guess for a quick thing, when they make the molds, everything except the head is like cut with a with an end mill and with a milling machine cut into the steel molds directly and the heads i think because of how tight how because they were small and very detailed they cast those so they, t- they try to capture all the detail in those by making a casting so you don't have to get in and have a milling machine well actually you, c- you couldn't mill that because it's it's you know it's, it's a small little round object basically and you couldn't get in there and mill mill that as easily so those were cast cast in what's called beryllium copper Whereas the heads, uh, whereas the bodies and the and arms and legs are, those are cut. But after they cut the molds, you had a guy, a mold engraver, because his job was to get in there and add detailing. And I met the son-in-law of a mold engraver at one point, and he was describing what the job was. And it, I can't remember what year that was, but that was, so that was sometime after, it was probably early 2000s, between 2000 and 2003 or so. But he pointed out, and I didn't know this at the time, but they do all this fine work in the mold to, like they're looking at their their hard copy as a reference, and they're getting in there and they're adding some of this. And that's exactly why you have so many mold differences that people are now, the past few years, have gone crazy. You know about it in Europe especially. All these differences where people call them sculpt differences, they're not actually differences at the sculpting stage. They're differences at the tooling stage. And it's because you have different guys in different areas finishing these molds. And that's where you see these fine little detail changes. It's because the guy was actually in there with his dremels or whatever making these fine details. And it was good enough for, you know, he wasn't trying to make this Bespin guard look exactly like the one next to it. I mean, overall, for a kid, and for most people, it is the same figure. But when you start getting down to this magnification stage, then people start seeing differences. And that's what you're seeing, mostly what you're seeing with all these figure variations in terms of the shape is actually things that the mold engravers did. So, and that's actually, I roll that into... There's your hollow tube Tuscan Raider. That's to, to add the little hollow thing. You do it right in the, at the mold stage. You wouldn't have to go all the way back to the sculpting. And, you know, it's just a guy tweaking the, the tooling, tweaking the mold at the very end that gives you a, a lot of this fine detail. What do you think the purpose of that would be? You see, no kid would have spotted that the Tuscan Raider now had hollow tubes. I don't know. You know, the t- you know, I say no kid would have spotted it. Some of these small differences where people are noticing, like, oh, look, the cuff here is different than the cuff there, or this fold is different from whatever. I think a kid could probably spot the hollow tube. And then maybe that's something that after a while, somebody said, hey, you know, this would look better if we just recess this. And, you know, it could have been something that Lucasfilm said, hey, can you tweak this? I mean, we don't know. That's all speculation about. I, mean, I don't think anybody would know why it went from solid tube to hollow tube. But, you know, undoubtedly the hollow tube looks more accurate. But, yeah, why it do it, I don't know. 
Would these tweaks have happened in the Far East, or would the would the tools have come back over to the states to be worked on? Yeah, I think a lot of that was a lot. A lot of molds were made here and shipped to the Far East, and then eventually they got to the point where they could make molds over there. But I think most of the vintage years, most of the molds were actually made stateside, and they shipped them over there for production. That's been my experience. Now, in, in ensuing years, in the Hasbro years, by that time, all that capability was located over there, and they were even making the molds overseas. You know, and then while they're, you know, and, and during the runs, you know, if they had to replace parts in a mold or whatever, you know, maybe over time they could have done those over there as well. I don't know that, but I have met many people on this side, engineers and, and people that work directly with molding and mold shops where they talked about how they did that. A lot of it stateside, especially for the Kenner. I think when that Palatoy Millennium Falcon note turned up, you guys covered it, you know, then they talked about that mold house over there. Those guys may have had something to do with actually making that, making a version of that mold at Palatoy versus getting something from Kenner. But those kind of things are kind of gray because not enough people have talked to enough factory people to know those kind of details. So some of that stuff is speculative. Yeah. So going back on your figure then, um, so as you see, it didn't have a head. Now, I haven't seen a photograph of it from um, the top-down angle. Did it still have its dowel, or was there a hole there that you could perhaps look down and see the buck inside? Yeah. Um, a lot of times you can't quite see the buck because the plastic disc is kind of – it's about an eighth of an inch thick, three millimeters thick, and it's rested in there. But you re- that's what you see from the outside. Really, you see – Either the entire disc or most of the, the disc on each of the contact points. So the head, you know, the neck would have that disc. And sometimes the sculptings would turn, the, the pins would be either stuck in the torso or the, the pin would get stuck in the arm. Sometimes, you know, you're wiggling it, you're moving the arm, and you could pop out and the, the plastic disc popped out. And that's, then your heart sinks for a little bit. But basically, you can just put crazy glue in there and glue the disc back into the arm and it's fine you don't really play with them too much and as far as the pins you never know exactly which if it's going to stick in the arm or stick in the torso they you're talking about very fine differences in how they machine those discs as to whether that dowel is going to press into a disc or kind of have a slip feel um, it can't be too loose though because then it would be wobbly so um, in this case i can't remember if it i don't think it had i think it just had the, the disc without a pin but over years, you could buy those pins. And lots of times I got extra pins from the Kenner guys, too. And you just put a pin in if it was missing a pin. Fast forward almost a decade, then, and you find a film canster marked Tuscan Raider Head. How are you feeling at that moment? Yeah, right. So I guess I, it was yeah, it was nine years later. We're at another sculptor's house. I think it was the second, it was the second time we had dealt with him, and he's in a different state, in fact. And the second time we had bought from him and, you know, looking through more of his things. And he had like stashed off to the side more pieces. I've got this other figure, too. And all the parts were in this large Ziploc bag. And I looked inside it, you know, and it was that black film canister. And he's like, oh, the head's in that. And I turned it over and that side of the film canister had tape on it. And on the tape was written Tuscan Raider. And the top of the film canister said head. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I opened it up. And it wasn't the head to the figure he, he thought it was. It was the head to the Tuscan Raider. And I couldn't believe it. It was crazy. It was nine years later, and there's the head. And it's from a different guy in a different state almost a decade later. 
but that was it, you know, and I was really excited, and I said, I can't leave without this. I have the rest of it. So, and, you know, he knew he, he couldn't use it anyway because it was the wrong thing. So it worked out perfectly. And it was just one of those things is after, after chasing so many people down for so many years, being able to piece these together. Now, that head just happened to get into some other box, one of the boxes that he took. And over the years, we, we found that the Leia Hoth sculpting turned up. I think Ron Salvatore's had photos posted. It may be on the archive also. And that was one where it was different pieces at a time, you know. And it was like a head and an arm or a leg and an arm. And then there was like, oh, it was the torso and something. It was like two, I think it was like three different visits to two different people over time. And those parts all got put together. I mean, one of them was like the guy had given his son a bunch of pieces of things. And the son, we're looking through a little shoebox of things. It was like, oh my gosh, here's like an, an arm for that Leia Bestman or the Leia Hoth figure. And it was just like, if we hadn't been going to all these different people to try to track them all down, these figures would never have gotten put back together. You know, they would forever have been split up. So a, really an awesome feeling as a collector. You know, it's sort of an like honor to be able to like know that you were there to put it back together. And, then, and from this point forward, it'll always the parts will always be together. But like I said, it goes back to sort of like what I mentioned before, that these guys weren't really trying to keep these things, you know, in pristine, with pristine care. The fact that they just kept them around was good enough. It's not that they had to go through it themselves and go, oh, well. You know, even the guy's own house, if he's got things in different spots, he didn't care enough to, like, try to put these things together before we even got there. It's like we were there piecing these together. So it's only because of doing that these things even got married back. So it was pretty special. So just don't give up, then, is what you're saying. If, you know, if there are still things out there that are incomplete, there's still a small (sighs) chance that they could still be complete one day? Yeah. You never know. You never know. Yeah, I guess that I've experienced it. I've seen similar it's just, it's amazing. Now, it's it's gotten a lot harder now. A lot of these guys have been, you know, visited and stuff. There's, there's not much opportunity for things like that to happen again. It could still happen. But it's like with other other pieces have, have been like that before. Not sculptings, but, you know, hard copy pieces are like that. Although a lot of hard copies have come from sculptors because they ended up back in their area too. But those can those are another instance. And those are a little bit easier because... You know, they make multiple copies of those, so you have more of an opportunity that the part you need may may turn up because you know they made multiples or whatever. Yeah. So never give up. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't sit around and 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 then make a point of like they thinking this is always this is going to happen, you know. But you, you don't have to write it off as it's never going to happen because you never you never know. At some point, you were brave enough to not only reattach the head, but also leave it freestanding for some photographs. How did you achieve that without some damage? Well, like I said, they're 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 pretty stout. It's not it's not ultra fragile. I mean, you you wouldn't want to drop it on a hard floor, obviously. But yeah, to set it up in the light box, usually you can tell as you're you're holding it there. Sometimes the joints are a little bit snug. Um, you can make them tighter. They have this soft very soft dental wax that people you people that have braces they use this and you can buy it at the at the pharmacy yeah. um at the chemist is how you'd say it right yeah. and uh, it's this real soft wax and people and if they had braces in their teeth and they have you know if it's rubbing their inside of their lip you can take some of this soft wax and ball it up and, and push it in there and that soft wax is sticky and you can use that um in fact it may be called sticky wax actually you just sort of malleable like bubble gum and you can take a little piece of that and put it in between the discs and it'll 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 hold itself together. It's it's kind of fun sometimes to, to set that up. You know, we did a nice little photo shoot and you sort of balance it, sort of 
challenging too to get it to sort of stand up maybe without trying that little sticky wax trick i don't think i would be brave enough to try that because i've dropped a dt vader on a hard wooden floor and i've also snapped, oh. i've snapped a dt ben saver as well um so oh uh, yeah uh, yeah i really a dt ben saver yeah, is a hundred times more fragile yeah. than, <laughs> than a wax yeah. sculpting if you can believe that it's yeah. just it's crazy yeah i mean you're you're careful i mean it's only ever going to fall forward or something but you're yeah. sort of watching it and you know, but you have to do it to to get the photo. Otherwise, you know, you get them laying down and it's shadows, and it's a one-time shot. So, well, it's, uh, yeah, there looks yeah. like there's some some small staining on the wax. So, like you just said, there, it's a one-time shot. So, how do you preserve them? How do you display these wax sculpts? Uh, there, I just have it like laying on its back. I mean, it's it's nothing fantastic. I mean, you can. You know, maybe put it on some like acid-free tissue if you like, but but really, pretty much everybody has them. They just have them laying down or or in a little little case. I just have mine on regular glass shelves or on wooden shelves in my display cases, and that's it. You know, really, you don't and you don't pick it up that much because I don't like when people come look at it. I don't I don't hand it to them because it's all really flopping of the arms and legs there's nothing there's no friction in there to hold it like an action figure action figures got a lot of friction that, that holds it to keeps it together normally yeah it's just laying on it sitting on its back and and that's it i definitely don't you don't stand them up they will they will not stay stand, standing up and the staining it's just whatever happened to get stuck to it over the years in the boxes or you know as it went through its stages you know these after they get sculpted they go to the shop area where those guys will make the silicone molds from that sculpting and make a hard copy. You know, they put mold release right on the figure on the, on the wax so that it will uh, pull away from the molds. So, you know, that adds foreign matter to it, gets in the crevices and you never know if somebody like over time, like somebody drips something on it. it could, for all I know, some of those stains, it could be like food, it could have been laying on somebody's desk and a guy reaches over for lunch and some ketchup drops off of his french fry and, you know, things like that. You, you never can account for, for little things like that. But it sort of gives it character. I don't yeah. mind that at all, really. Yeah. That's to the history, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so... Oh, you know, something on the... on You mentioned on the, the, the head and the stuff in the pe- It got me thinking of... Grant interviewed... Um, I forget the name of the guy. Does all that custom his figure restorations Toy and Poloi. salvaging and stuff. Yeah, that's it, Toy Poloi. And uh, they were wondering about the heads because they were saying, "Oh, you know, you got a head that's broken off. How do you reattach it?" And he was using Lego pieces, but they couldn't. They didn't know why the heads changed because the original Star Wars line started off. The heads had this, the neck pin was part of the head, you know, and that's why you found so many headless figures. And later on, they changed it to where the neck pin was part of the torso. And they did that because the torso is stiffer plastic. It's ABS plastic. It's really hard. Right. And so when you incorporate the neck pin into that, it's more robust as opposed to the heads and the arms, which those are PVC plastic. Because so you got this real flimsy ductile plastic, and then it was just there was nothing. And that, that neck pin is so so tiny that it didn't take much to snap the head off. Well, then when you take that neck pin and you incorporate it into the torso, and the pin's at, at least twice as, twice the diameter, and it's in that harder material, and then you got a head that stays on. It's very way, way harder to break a head off of one of those things. So that's to go yeah. back and answer an old question. That <laughs> <laughs> and that's done at tooling stage. All that's done, at the, the arm joints and stuff, all that's done at, 
at the tooling stage. I was just about to ask that actually. So would they have went straight into the tooling stage to do that or would they have made some prototypes to see whether if the pin was on the body it would be stronger or was it just taken as fact? Oh, I'm sure they did testing with other, you know, over time or somebody yeah. got the bright idea, you know, after seeing these headless figures or whatever that, that they, they did it. I don't know. I can't say yet. They were specific. I'm sure just, just doing engineering work myself. I know things like that yeah. happen, you know, and it could, and what, what they do is they have these molding guidelines and I've even got one of those books, you know, Kenner molding standards, very boring, but it has all this detail in there. It says, okay, if you're doing the arm joint it's this here's this here's all the specs for all the things so that these guys it's just like a recipe book mm-hmm. as they're doing these so you have the outer shape of the figures and the toys and things changing but all these uh, details for mechanisms and how things look together and whatnot those are sort of standard sizes they've developed things they've learned over time is okay this is the size that this needs to be and if it's this kind of material you can't have a feature that's smaller than this things like that so they have all that worked out and they just apply it later on when they're making the molds. Finally, Chris, what about the other 11? What do we know about the other sculpts? The other sculpts, okay. So I mentioned Chewbacca. That one's on the Star Wars Collector's Archives. The, um, I think Ron and Bruce Wright worked on a, um, a blog posting on the Star Wars Collector's Archives blog post where there was strong evidence that the Princess Leia had been turned into the Leia Bespin figure by looking at some of the features there. And we know, and just getting on those lines, over time of meeting sculptors, we found three instances where there was a note in the, in with the, the sculpting. It was actually it put in a little bag or whatever. And the first time we saw it was with, we found the Hoth Stormtrooper sculpting. And there was a note in it, and it said, sculpted over Stormtrooper. And we're like, no way, this thing sculpted. Really? I mean, you're looking at it like, and for whatever reason, the sculptor said they did that. And then later on, through another source, there was a note in with the Bosque sculpting, and it said sculpted over Snaggletooth. And Ron did a blog posting on that, too, and it shows, if you compare Bosque to Blue Snaggletooth, how similar those figures are. And it's all as simple as a little handwritten note, I mean, a little square of paper thrown in there, and like, okay, well, that, that answers that. So there. So along that line, that's maybe what happened to Leia, because Leia never turned up, and it makes sense when you start looking at it from that aspect. The Stormtrooper, I just told you what happened to it. So the, the, the Hoth Stormtrooper exists, but and inside of it, it's actually the Stormtrooper. It's not like you could peel it away or anything you know, significantly. You know, they get in there and melt it and whatnot. So it's gone forever, but it turned into that. Um, let's see. The Jawas around, the Death Squad Commander exists. No sign ever. Oh, then, then there's, if you start looking at the Han Solo figure and start looking at the Han Hoth figure, the way the arms are the way the stance is it's very possible that that one was changed also that it converted the darth vader sculpt still exists it was originally shown in the steve sansweet from concept to screen to collectible book that still exists was the three uh, what's in left that book as well? yeah three po still exists yeah. and, uh... and ben kenobi does not never seen any indication or any thought about what happened to that it wouldn't have been one that was changed into a figure that I can think of. The R2-D2 was wood pattern, so it would have been as good as a sculpting. That's never been shown, but um, we did get some photos of the actual pattern. So um, it was neat to see what it looked like at the time, but that one does not exist to my knowledge. 
I think that's is that everybody? I think you've covered them all there, yeah. I cover them all. So it's amazing how many are still around. Yeah. And it's kind of it's kind of sad, but it's kind of fun to think of those ones that were cha- that were converted, you know, it's they'll never be around, but but it just goes to show like how they were working things during the day because their job wasn't to try to create a piece of sculpture and save it. Their job was to make a toy, plastic toy. Like the Kenner people only ever really cared that the very end product, that's really what they cared about when they got their toy sample. That was what they liked. They didn't care that they had some drawings or a hard copy or whatever. And that's why they, you know, this kind of stuff just sort of got saved. They liked it, but that, that wasn't what they were trying to create. So the, the fact that these sculptors took an existing sculpting and t- turned it into another thing makes complete sense because they are on a tight timeline. And why start from scratch? If you got this figure there that's doing no other good and you can quickly convert it, it's it's like, you know, 75% of the way of what you need. It's pretty neat to think about it like that. Okay, Chris, uh, that was absolutely fantastic. Some great information there. And I'm sure our listeners are going to, you know, really enjoy that. And I'm sure there's going to be follow-up questions. Are you contactable on Facebook if anybody has a question that they want to follow up on? Oh, sure, sure. You know, I'm an admin now. They made me an admin of the uh, 12-back group. So I don't really do anything yet. And uh, Ross and Steve and those guys, they know that, and we've joked about it like I said, <laughs> as much when I was joining on. But, yes, I'm on that, too. And it's, you know, you can re- respond to the – there's a Tuscan Raider. I don't know. It's hard to find old old postings, but, you know, make a new posting. Don't just write me directly. Some some of that stuff is you – know, other people can learn as well. And there's Yeah, I'm happy to chat later uh, if you've got more, more things you want to cover. Many thanks for chatting with us tonight, Chris. Okay, as always, your support is appreciated, and we look forward to seeing you next year in Celebration Orlando. Definitely. Sounds great. The moon with the Rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes. Now, Rich, Echo Base Vader Top. Uh, This has got nothing to do with that lovely little giveaway they did recently. Over on the Echo Base Facebook group, they were having a charity drive for the Lothian Autistic Foundation. At some point during the drive... A fellow Star Wars collector, Lee Simpson, offered up a German Vader light-up store display as a kind of incentive to sell more tickets, and then there was going to be like a raffle drive. So I bought a couple of tickets. Obviously, you know, like most people on there, not expecting to win the prize, more to raise money for the, the Lothian Autistic Foundation. And I didn't think any more of it. I woke up one morning and I got a PM in one of my group chats, and it said, congratulations on winning the prize last night, Rich. And I read it and I thought, oh, well, there's three riches were in that group chat. And I thought, oh, well, it's probably going to be one of the other riches. I didn't really think anything more. And there wasn't long later on that Lee Simpson asked for my um, address. And I was like, oh, bloody hell, it's me. I have one. And I then obviously went back onto the Echo Base thread to actually read about what I'd actually won. And it was, the, as I've said there, the German Vader light-up store display. Now, do you guys know what this item is? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's it's the light up display which um, sits on top of the wire rack. What's fantastic about this one from Lee is that it it comes with both of the original eyes, which I'm led to believe that a lot of the ones that are out there and um, they've had replacement eyes, and also all the electronics in it work. I've done a bit of reading about this on the SWCA and various other places, and for those who aren't aware, it's it's not much bigger. Well, actually, that's a total lie. It's probably 100% bigger than the Vader carry case, but it looks very similar, same kind of mould, and it was designed to sit on top of a rack, which would, I think it's 4x4, four four, it had hangers to place um, the Star Wars carded figures on, and then there was a tray at the bottom, I'm not sure what it went in the tray, I don't know if perhaps 
figures would uh, probably not figures would lie down the tree, but maybe vehicles or mini rigs or something. Mini rigs, wait. Mini rigs, yeah. So mini rigs will be lying at the bottom. But I'm led to believe, Grant, that those wire racks are insanely rare. It's these busts that you could probably buy one tomorrow if you wanted one. But the racks themselves are incredibly hard to get. Is that correct? I guess so, mate. Let's see one up for sale. So I had to think about this. So why do you think the wire rack is so difficult to get a hold of, whereas the German Vader display actually isn't too difficult? I think that that's a bit obvious, isn't it, Rich? The Vader head's got Darth Vader on it. The, the other thing's a wire rack. Yep, exactly. So I think <laughs> probably what's happened is the stores who've had these have thought, oh, we can still use this wire rack. We can't use the Vader light-up display anymore because Star Wars is, is dying off. Just, you know, get these out. People, you know, have bought them or went into storage. The wire racks have probably been reused for other toy lines or other items in the store. I couldn't see anything on the wire rack that identified Star Wars. To me, they were just plain black rack. It was, you know, such a generous offer by Lee, and I'm really pleased that I won. But I'm even more pleased that over £500 was raised for charity. So it was a great thing that the store's community got together and raised some, you know, more money for charity. We probably raised, would I be far off of seeing £10,000 a year for charity? Yeah, easy, I'd say, yeah. Yep. Rich, congratulations, mate. I think everyone on Echo Base was delighted for you. Death Star approaching. Estimated time to firing range, 15 minutes. Well, I'm delighted to be joined this evening by Mark Walsh, who many of our listeners will know from reading Facebook, from attending conventions up and down the UK, and from many of the forum activities that you've had. Good evening to you, Mark, and welcome to the Vintage Rebellion podcast. Thank you very much. Nice to be on to, uh, this evening. So, Mark, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself before we go into what you're here to talk about tonight? Yeah, no worries. Um, basically, been collecting Star Wars for the past like six uh, six years, uh, like here uh, properly, and I've really gone into pre-production on Star Wars mostly, uh, Sandtooth and 65 Back C. But before that, I really got into collecting mocks and uh, stuff like that. So, and got into doing conventions and that about two years ago. Just because I, I like meeting new people and getting them, beginning to get them into the hobby. Now, Mark, we've seen you trading on Facebook and on forums for what seems like years and years now. And we've seen you at Father's Farm, and we've seen you at Star Wars Fun Day at Burnley. Now, I believe tonight that you've got an announcement to make to all of our listeners about what your next endeavour is. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, the natural progression is uh, what I thought was uh, opening the shop. Uh, we decided to open up in uh, Blackpool, a little bit further away than where I am, but it's uh, it's the ideal location where we think uh, it, it would be best suited for a, um, a vintage shop. Uh, like uh, obviously not the whole shop is going to be vintage, but um, a good portion we hope is going to be uh, going to be out, out, out to cater for like uh, the likes of Star Wars, like a uh, FF and stuff like that. So what attracted you to Blackpool then? Because um, it is quite far in the northwest. So was that the area that you had in mind? I, I was looking at like a place like Manchester and um, stuff like that for for an actual um, good toy shop. There there is a couple around, but we thought we would add something different and a community who had a sort of vibe to the area. That's why we uh, we decided on Blackpool in, in general. In this technological age that we're living now, how did you come up with your research? Like, for example, footfall in the area and demand for toys in that area. Well, I, I've done the old-fashioned, um, like, on going, going around asking people, like, uh, an actual survey: Do they want a, a new toy shop here? 
looked at other toy shops around the area. And roughly just saw the demand. Um, a lot of a lot of uh, collectors and that that I've uh, been dealing with over uh, the past two years. And actually, quite a few of them are in in north um, northwest. So it's it, we thought that it's a natural progression to go into the area that everyone seems to be living. So they'd be able to come and actually see them before they actually buy them. Okay, Mark, so I've got a spare weekend. I'm heading off to Blackpool. What do you envisage seeing once your store's fully ready, once I open the door? Uh, well, we've um, we've got some uh, full-size props in the uh, display, like as you walk in. Unfortunately, no, uh, no Star Wars ones at the moment uh, because they're still getting built. But uh, we've got Robbie the Robot, K-9, and Cyberman. But then as you walk in, like um, each side, you've got Star Wars, one whole cabinet of just uh, mocks, Vintage uh, with Lego, uh, the other one with loose uh, loose figures, and then we're um, going in, going into like modern uh, Star Wars, and then behind the counter we've got a lot of box uh, Star Wars, and then uh, obviously other um, other toy lines like uh, He-Man and and uh, Transformers and stuff like that. Did you visit other toy stores such as Dave Trees, all the cool stuff, to get some ideas of layout or things that you thought, oh, that look that looks quite well. Yeah, um, I, I, w- I went to several across the uh, cross country to see what I could take from it, each one, uh, and obviously spoke to them and, and stuff like that to to understand where I could change my ideas because I, I work in retail myself anyway, so I've got a sort of an understanding of where I think uh, stuff should go. But actually, a, a toy um, shop is completely different to what I'm used to, so it was a it was a good good um, good to just talk to people and get their opinions. My biggest worry of if I ever owned a toy shop would be obviously toys are designed to attract children. So how yeah. difficult is it for you to lay out your items knowing that some of your customers may be five, six, seven years old? Well, so that, that's, um, that's where cabinets come in, uh, in, into play very strongly. We are um, lucky enough. We've got, we've got uh, cabinets for, the, for like the uh, expensive stuff, but obviously we want kids to come in. We want the next generation to come, come in enjoy Star Wars and that so we've uh, we've got like a loose um, Star Wars there we've got kind of like a modern uh, cardage for them to rip open if they choose to that's the whole idea of a toy shop you, you, you see people come in you, you want them to enjoy the uh, the experience I've seen some of the more modern toy shows have a not quite the play area for the kids but like a kind of area where there's just a box of figures for them to go and, and play play sets and things and, and build things out of you know Lego and whatever bits and pieces you've got lying around We've got uh, at the moment uh, an idea of having a whole table of just uh, that's available for loose stuff, so they can play as well. So, they, so, so the adults can have, actually have a look around to have a look at that, and obviously interact, uh, interact around. So it'll be a, a broad spectrum of toys that will change on a routine basis. Obviously, this is going to be quite time-consuming for you, Mark. Not just yeah. obviously the store hours, but it's also making sure that you you've got the stock. And you know, I dare say people are going to be coming with collections and asking you to go and view their collections, given prices. Are you still yeah. planning on attending cons up and down the country and keeping up such a high profile? Yeah, um, like I've I'm going to cut back. Obviously, uh, not as much as uh, some people thought I was going to. I still probably will do between 25 and 30 shows a year, but um, nowhere near as many as I used to do. So I was trying to do at least one a weekend, and that and that in itself is quite demanding. Let alone having a shop as well. And have you went into partnership with one of your collecting friends in this endeavour? 
I've gone in partnership with uh, two others, uh, to be fair. Like um, they both bring different aspects to the uh, to the business. So I've got um, Jez Davis. He's yeah. a he's an absolute fanatic uh, Star Wars fan, like um, like all of us. But he's very specialised in Star Wars, and he's um, you can ask him something and he'll be able to answer it. And then I've gone into uh, another friend called Damien Bailey, and he. He's uh, more on like Star Trek and other aspects of the uh, toy business. So he also he lives in Blackpool, but does help. Um, he can step in when I need to do a show. What advice would you give somebody who's considering heading down the same route as you? I would plan. Uh, it's all about planning and research. You've got to research your like the area that you want to go into because if, if you don't research, then you, like you, you might not need uh, a toy shop in that area. So, it's, but for me, it's a, like a, anything I always say to people, take your time, research, and then uh, decide from that. Will we see you at Father's Farm in December? Yes, um, I, I, I will be there. I've already booked my hotel, so uh, me and um, Jez will, will be there with uh, hopefully loads of Star stuff. <laughs> and, and when would you expect collectors like myself to come down to your store in Blackpool? When, when can I appreciate it's fully open and ready for us to arrive? Uh, we're opening uh, this Monday on the 10th of October, so um, we've already had a couple of like uh, Echo-based people come in and uh, have a look at the store before we even open. Uh, so uh, that's what we've, uh, we've we've said to some of our regulars: you can more than more than have to come whenever you want. Oh. So yeah, we're t- technically when when this goes out, it, we should be um, open. So the 10th of October, then. So one last plug, then, Mark. What was the name of your store and exactly whereabouts in Blackpool is it? Yep, it is Respawn Collected Toys, and it's uh, 23 Waterloo Road, Blackpool. 23 Waterloo Road in Blackpool? Yes. Yep. Sorry, I had to uh, get, get it there. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure that some of us will head over that way. It's not too far from Burnley either, is it? So when we do the family fun days, I'm sure we can um, you know, perhaps take an extra day, have a weekend of it, and, and visit you up in your store in uh, Blackpool, Mark. Uh, hopefully you all can come and say hello at least. <laughs> Been a pleasure as always chatting to you, Mark. We wish you every success in your shop and anything at all that we can do for you. You know where the phone is and just get in contact with us and we'll be chatting to you soon in the future, I hope. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, cheers, Mark. Bye. And I believe this month we have a song that's quite special. Grant, what do you want to tell our listeners about the song that's coming up? Uh, well, Stu found this. Uh, this is actually called the Star Wars figure song, Johnny Cash Star Wars by uh, by someone called Jersey Flicks. But it's the first vintage Star Wars song that I actually know exists. I don't know if there's any others out there, but I think it's going to come after the main interview that we've got with Todd Hudson. And uh, just keep your ear out for it. It's pretty cool.
guest this month is Todd Hudson, a collector of all items vintage who focuses heavily on proofs, from the characters to playsets and vehicles. A love for the 12-inch line and a collector of Leddy and Clipper, he really does have a vast collection. Todd, I want to offer you a very warm welcome to the Vintage Rebellion. Thanks, guys. Great, uh, great to be here. Joining us as well is Grant to take us through your impressive collection. Hi, Todd. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Grant. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. Happy to have you on. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. You're out in Hawaii, Todd, yeah? I am. Yeah, I know it was, uh, was going to be a little difficult trying to put it together. I think we're about 11 hours apart. But Todd, what's the weather like in Hawaii? It's just absolutely horrible. It's about 83 degrees. Beautiful day. <laughs> Looking right outside my window right now. Do you have to be careful with climate control and whatnot in your collection room? Absolutely. Uh, where I used to live, we used to live in an old plantation house. Uh, it was really difficult to keep my collection um, without it you know, messing up. I mean, I had waxes, and eventually I got rid of the waxes because I couldn't can keep the, the climate where it just made sense. It seemed like they're starting to deteriorate a little, so I just decided there was no way I can keep those in my collection. The weather alone, I mean, it's just a salt air in general. So where I keep it right now, it's completely dark, uh, and I usually have some kind of either air conditioning or fan system going throughout. Have you always been in Hawaii? No. Uh, born and raised in Chicago. Moved to Wisconsin for a few years. And then we moved to Hawaii about 13 years ago. Well, that takes us back to your childhood. What, what year were you born? You're, um, 73. 73. Right. So you were four when the film originally came out. Do you have any early memories of when it was first released? I don't. Um, I, I mean, I remember the toys. That was the big thing. I really don't remember seeing Star Wars in the theater. The first one I remember seeing was Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, I suppose you were a good age for that at the time. And you had quite a lot of figures and toys and back in your childhood. Um, yeah, yeah. I would trade a lot back and forth with my friends, borrow each other's collections. We'd have uh, parties and everyone would bring over their collections. I remember every report card was a big thing because that's when the family would usually buy me a, a toy or a couple figures if I had a good report card. So there were some times I just didn't get figures for a while. Oh, I never would have got them. <laughs> <laughs> so gr growing up, did Star Wars ever leave you? Did you get to an age where you grew out of it or has it always kind of been there? Yeah, it kind of did. You know, right, ar right around Return of the Jedi, you know, I, I was really excited to see Return of the Jedi. You know, but I was closing in on that 13, 14 year old Mark. So I, I saw it a few times had bought some i thought the ewoks were super cool actually but then i had started high school and it kind of started to slow away for me and then girls thinking of sports things like that so it probably left shortly thereafter uh, return of the jedi coming out always had the love just no more collecting didn't really think about it had boxed my stuff up and put it away in my parents garage so when did you return to collecting? Right around the Power of the Force line, uh, Power of the Force 2 line came out. I started getting interested again. Uh, I remember my collection was put away. I had a Darth Vader case with figures. I had a bunch of play sets, vehicles, things like that. And they were in my parents' house, but they had moved out of state. We went to go collect them, <laughs> and the renters had actually broken in to their basement to lock off and stole most of my stuff. So I had about five figures left from there. Oh, no. So I pretty much lost all of them to some college kids who rented my parents' house and for some weird reason stole all my toys. So the yeah. Power of the Force 2 range, you got heavily involved in that, like many of us did. Yeah, you know, I didn't get too heavy, and I started buying some figures, and I was like, wow, these are some of the ugliest things I've ever seen. Uh, and I ended up really starting to find loose figures, uh, vintage. But in Chicago, I would have thought it would have been much easier. It, it wasn't that they weren't inaccessible. It was just the prices were ridiculous. I mean, 
you couldn't buy a regular figure for under 25 bucks. And I always thought it was kind of ridiculous. That made no sense to me. Eventually, like I'd go to garage sales and start finding my figures that way. But I guess I didn't really get heavily back into it until right around 2000. And that's when I kind of started focusing on stuff and actually putting it together. Had been reading different forums on the internet. And then eBay. eBay changed everything. That was a game changer for me when it came to Star Wars. And then I did chance upon online that in 2008 you sold your collection. I did, yeah. Um, everything? Not everything. I had three sales. Um, they were pretty amazing sales, I believe, which was really cool. I was able to put a lot of prototypes in you know newer collectors' hands, and hopefully they were able to keep going. I know Mateus, uh, Sky, a couple people that were just starting their prototype collections really were able to benefit off that. But yeah, you know, had circumstances change. We were big recession. Wife was in college. My youngest one got sick. My job had changed dramatically, income-wise. So something I had to do for the family. Yeah. So this was for. For personal reasons, not for um, because you'd fallen out of love with the hobby. No, unfortunately, it was 100% personal reasons. Right thing to do then. Obviously, back in those days, you collected Chewbacca items, did you? I, not? D- I did. Yeah, that was. And it was fun. You know, I always loved Chewbacca. Solo was probably always my favorite character in general. But Chewbacca was easily attainable at that time. Nobody really collected them. There were so so many cool prototypes that were very easily accessible just because nobody had a focus on him. And really, it was really early on in the focus days. There weren't too many focus collectors. I can think of probably Bill McBride, Bill Cable... That's there, there wasn't a ton of focus collectors yet when I first started doing that. The people had been amassing runs of certain characters, but their whole their whole collection wasn't focused on it like there are nowadays. Uh, Todd, take us through some of your uh, Chewbacca focus. I mean, what was some of the more difficult pieces to find? Oh gosh, the foreign Chewbaccas. Uh, like the, it really was. Like the park. Oh, go ahead. The park. I, I'm sorry, I'm not sure what you mean by that. The park, the ESP Chewbacca park. It's uh, Spanish. Like a 31 back. Oh, the pooch. Sorry. <laughs> some reason I, Do you call I was them? thinking of it as pooch for some reason. Yeah, park makes more sense. I've never even thought about that. Um, <laughs> Great stuff. I did. I, I did not have one. Uh, I never had one of those. The thing that eluded me forever was the 12 back Palatoy. Don't know why it was so freaking difficult. And I would talk to Gary Smith all the time, Jason. I was always putting feelers out. And I could never land one. Um, it's amazing. I had French. I had Letty. Uh, I had pretty much everything. Clipper. Uh, but for some reason, that Palatoy just eluded me forever. Over the last couple of years, I mean, it was always known as a really tricky figure to get on the Palatoy card. But in the last two or three years, because we have like a auction site over here called Vectus, and they've managed to unearth quite a few two backs yeah. and twelve backs recently. But yeah, it was a difficult figure to get. Yeah, I mean, look at I see James Martin. He has like a twelve A and a twelve B Palatoy. I'm like, God, <laughs> it was impossible to find any back then. <laughs> And now I'm seeing collectors have multiples of them. Did you find the uh, 12-inch Empire Strikes Back Kenner Chewbacca at all? I did. I actually had uh, I had the flat. Uh, I never found the retail version. You know, so there was a retail version that was well, not supposedly. It's been confirmed now that in Australia there was a Chewbacca and a Vader, but I was never able to find that one. But I had the flat, so I was more than excited, you know, just having the, the flat alone. What about the prototype pieces? Because I guess a lot of the prototype stuff would have been from the you know the very first uh, figures made. Yeah, um, the coolest prototype I probably had was a 12-inch hard copy made of Dynacast. 
<laughs> it was heavy. Wow. Uh, probably in the 15, 20 pound range. It was just a massive piece of Dynacast. Wow, that's amazing. That was my favorite. Um, we had, to, I'm trying to think what are the really great prototypes on Chewbacca I had. I mean, I had most of, at that time, most of the proof run that was known. I had sold that off to Sky, and Sky has really <laughs> gone far and above and picked up pieces that weren't even known to exist. Um, so his, you know, his proof run is just absolutely amazing. But yeah, that was, those were probably the two best pieces was the, that run as well as the hard copy. Just out, just out of interest. I mean, I've seen things like the 12 back storm, trooper proof go up for sale for nine thousand dollars i think it was what kind of prices were we talking about proofs back when you were collecting your chewbacca run they were cheap i mean you got you can get almost any revenge proof outside of vader and fat for well under a thousand dollars actually i don't even think either one of those would have hit a thousand dollars at that point you know most of those were rent when i first got into proofs uh, right after C2, or right around C2 and after, you could buy most revenge proofs in the $100 range. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I actually have some great auctions that I've kept uh, for some of the stuff I had bought. I bought multiple revenges for under 100 bucks. In fact, I, my best buy was on eBay, $47, just $47.29, I think, for a neem num again revenge proof that I've now put one back into my collection again oh, that, that's really cool I've always wondered why some of the old long term collectors have got such amazing collections and now I realize oh cheap I mean power of the force uh, you were able to pick up really cheap I had a damaged power of the force amount of map for under 100 bucks it was damaged but it was awesome to me because it was the only one I could find at that time but even the unproduced characters you know, they were always in that thousand dollar range or, or less even Chrome Chromelins. Uh, I think I picked up most of my Chromelins for in that thousand dollar range or less. Well, what what do you make of the current the current market though? Because it's it's so extreme these days. I think it's crazy. It's a little it's astronomical. Some of the prices we see. I think I just saw a first shot calf come on the market for forty thousand dollars. I thought that was insane. Just it's and it's funny. You know, I talk to a lot of the old time collectors a lot, and they're always talking about how it's you know they don't think it's sustainable. You know, but I keep thinking about. You know, a lot of people in our age range is probably in that 35 to 45. And I think our incomes have all just you know, it's gone up. Maybe we've paid off our colleges. You know, we're starting to make a lot more money. And I honestly just don't think prices are going to come down. I think they're going to continue to rise. Um, and now that Disney's taken us, taken over the franchise and, you know, we're guaranteed mo- movies for the next, was it, uh, eight years for sure. Um, I, I just don't see how we're going to, uh, it, prices are going to go down. It just doesn't make any sense, unfortunately. We might have some hiccups, but I think overall, I think the prices are going to continue to rise. Tom, let's let's come back up to your up to day collecting. You're a massive 12 inch collector, 12 inch fan. Uh yes, uh, it's it's definitely one of the loves right now. I've had, I guess, I've always had that love, which is funny. I never had one as a child. I never had any of the large action figures. I always thought they were kind of cool, but just never were in my wheelhouse. In 2006-ish or so, I really started to get into the prototype area of that, which is very hard. It's much harder to find that than your regular three and three-quarter line. Uh, but yeah, I, I, the flats are cool. I love seeing that unproduced version. You know, the Leia Bespin, the Han Hoth, Luke Bespin, the Lando, just things that weren't produced. Uh, and it always caught my eye. So yes, those are uh, that is definitely a big part of my collecting focus nowadays is the 12-inch line. 
Can you give us an overview of currently what your 12-inch collection is looking like? Uh, Production-wise, I have all the Kenner. I've been working on uh, the Clipper, the the Tool Toy, Pal Toy. They're just trying to figure the foreign version out, but I'm probably, according to Lee's uh, Matrix, I'm probably, or Matrix, I'm probably halfway through. So I have a lot of the foreign still to collect. Celebration Europe. A few months back, I was able to get Bossa Vader, which I was really excited for at a great price. So now if I could track down the Chewy, I'd be even happier. I've seen the box version, but it's probably going to be impossible to find those. But if it comes up, I'll definitely be bidding high on that. With regards to the Bassa figures, just give us a bit of information on this, because not something we've ever touched on on the podcast. Now, Bassa was available in which country? Oh, wow. (laughs) I believe Argentina. I could be wrong on that, though. Uh, I believe it was Peru. I know it's a South American country, for sure. And how many figures were available in their 12-inch? I've, I've seen the Vader myself. And yeah, I believe only two, uh, the Chewbacca and the Vader. Yeah, and unless something else comes of light as of recent that I, I was unaware of, I believe it's just the two. Um, and I believe only one box Chewbacca has come up. And then there's a couple box Vaders, I believe. But it's, it's very, very difficult to find. Um, the person I got it from, Jose, he told me that they were a lot easier to find just 10 years ago. And he says, now it's just drying up. He goes out there all the time. And he says it's really uh, becoming a lot harder to find those. These um, are considerably different, aren't they? I've seen the Vader recently at the Farthest From show. There, it feels like a. Uh, I mean, it really feels like a bootleg copy. It's, it's made of that softer plastic kind of. I'm not sure if you guys had Woolworths or not back um, in England, but just a, a cheap knockoff version. Everything's kind of different to it. The whole look to it, kind of like how the Letties uh, didn't use those sculpts either, and they had just made their own sculpts. Uh, it's just a different look to it kind of uglier uh but just cool just because it's different they package similar you know i don't know much on the packaging of those because i haven't really seen much that's probably a question for somebody who's a little bit more in the know on that so what about the uh the 12 inch leddies what i mean they are you never see them in the uk how rare are they uh, do you think especially find them in the box super rare uh i think r2 was the easiest one to find box you see a lot of uh leia's but you they're just I mean, even now they're super, super hard to find. But you know, even when you were able to find a lot of foreign stuff, you know, five, ten years ago, they, they just did not show up much. And that Jawa and that sand, sand person was always difficult, no matter what. You know, obviously, you know, solos and people, invaders, things that people just love that character. They always become in demand, but they weren't nearly as hard to find uh, as some of those goofy ones like the Jawa and the sand person. But yeah, those are. <laughs> Super, super difficult. I mean, I'm always amazed when I see somebody has put together a box or even a loose uh, version of the complete set. But it always blows my mind because that's a lot of it's a lot of networking, a lot of hard work. You know, unless yeah, I, I believe two or three sets have come for sale in the last ten years, and they just they were um, huge, huge price tags to put them you know, to buy it all as one set. But to me, most of the fun is really the hunt and being able to piece things together. I'm not a big fan of just buying something that's complete. It's not. There's no fun in that to me. If you're best to mention your uh, pre-productions. I don't have too much pre-production on there anymore. I have a Empire Strikes Back Vader 12-inch flat, as well as a Leia Bespin flat. Uh, working on, uh, I have two people looking to sell me a Star Wars 12-inch Leia flat. So trying to work a deal with one of them. 
Um, so nothing like I had before. Um, I do have a 12-inch Dynocast uh, Bigfoot. So, you know, what Chewbacca was based on. Six million dollar man. There you go. So I have that hard copy. So it looks a lot like Chewbacca, obviously not quite exactly, but still a pretty cool piece in my opinion. And it's huge. It's, it's a huge piece of Dynacast. To be putting together the 12 inch flats, is this doable? Are they all known to exist? Production wise, like the, the Star Wars line, I believe it is. I, I want to say, I thought Andy in the UK had one uh, or does have one still. But there's a, there's a couple people that have either completed or are darn close. So it's really hard because the Luke Bespin never shows up. You know, the Han Hoth shows its head every few years with some crazy price tag and someone buys it. But in all my years of collecting, I've actually never seen a Luke Bespin 12-inch flat come up yet. Uh, the Leia comes up all the time, every couple of years. Uh, but for some reason, that one has been the hardest one. And then there's not really, there's not even a Lando. I think it's a comp sheet, if I remember, for the Lando. Um, so there's not even really a proof of them. And then the other Empire Strikes Back production was, I believe all of them are available in flats. So difficult, uh, and the prices have gone up a lot. Uh, you know, it was an unappreciated line, but I think now a lot of collectors have started to have that appreciation for them, and they've really gone up in price. How many were graded to these flats? Oh, um, I talked to Steve Denny about this just about two months ago. His recollection was less than five each, but I, I don't think that number's correct. I'm pretty sure there's higher numbers. I, I remember Jim Stevenson from the UK. Is that the, sure, the collector, yeah. the dealer? He, I know he had quite a few over the years where I, I think he was even boxing them up from what I remember. But yeah, it's probably less than 10 each would be my wild guess, to be honest, at least on the Empire Strikes Back line. The Star Wars line, there's probably a little more than that or close to it. So it's it's not like there's a, a healthy amount anywhere. I know a couple other collectors have really put together a good run of them, but I can't really say for sure I know anyone except, I believe, Andy Davis, who had a complete set. How far away were these being produced? Well, they had to come pretty close. I mean, a lot of the designs are out there. Uh, we've seen the actual, there's, you know, there's picture data of them um, or photography uh, evidence. There's the outfits have been out there. So I'm, I'm guessing it just, there was just a little, there was no interest. I, as far as coming to how close it was productionized, I'm guessing it was right there. Um, they could have probably just turned it on at any time and said, go for it. So I think everything was made for them. Uh, I just don't bl I believe there was such little interest that that's why they never got produced. I can remember all the way until Return of the Jedi seeing Star Wars um, and Bubba Fett's in IG-88 uh, ESP, ESBs in 12 and still on the Toys R Us shelves. I was just wondering because I imagine these were these were cancelled because of lack of sales from the first load. But surely there was quite a, a space between the release of the Star Wars ones to these them to go so far in the planning stage. Yeah, agreed. You know, you would have thought they would have tried it. Yeah, I know there's some paperwork out there. Maybe uh, I haven't. I don't know that answer for sure, but I know there's some paperwork out there. It probably explains why it ended up being canceled and not being completed. Uh, but there's there's a lot of cool pictures, especially on the archives of the different outfits. You know, I think Luke, Leia, quite a few, five, six different outfits that was designed. They look kind of disco-y. Uh, have you guys ever seen them online? Yeah, it's a real great look to them. 
actually, covered them recently, didn't we? Actually, I think a couple of months back on Rebel Briefings. Uh, yeah, I think they're, they're quite famous because they were in the concept of the screen to collectible sand sweep book. Correct, right. And I think wasn't it that the twelve inch line got cancelled because the three and three quarter line was just so strong? Oh, really? Yeah, it was definitely their money maker. There's no doubt about that. I mean, that was Kenner's money maker for sure. So it just makes sense. I, like I said, I just didn't see many people collecting them when I was a kid, and I had very little interest in them. I thought they were cool, but I was much more into the three and three quarter line. Yeah, interesting run. It'd have been interesting to see how it would have gone with Jedi and whatnot. But yeah, to see a twelve inch, you know, Ewok would have been pretty cool. Moving on a little bit, you were at Celebration Europe this year. I was. Do you frequent all the? celebrations um yeah i I used to and uh, i think my last one for quite a while i I did the very first celebration europe and then i kind of missed them all till celebration seven again so there's a there's a big chunk of period where i just wasn't able to make them did desire to make them and then uh, i've been trying to come a lot more so hopefully i I won't miss anymore (laughs) though there were some pretty cool items there well, yeah, that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring up Celebration. Now, down at Farthest Farm, we have actually had the chance to see this item, but I believe you purchased the Trilogo proof sheet from Dave Tree. Yeah, I may have purchased that. <laughs> <laughs> now, that is quite a, that. quite a piece, isn't it? Would you be willing to Amazing. tell us what it is? Well, it's, you know, it's been called a proof. It's, it's probably as close to a proof as we'll ever see on a Trilogo, uh, from what we know of. It's an uncut sheet that uh, the backside had a printing error to it. Um, so it looks like uh, it was just never used for anything. Uh, but the whole history behind it's pretty cool. You know, it ended up <laughs> in a meat packing plant, sausage packing plant for years. And then on somebody, uh, one of the sons or one of the owner's sons or manager's son's wall for many years until David unearthed it. Todd, it's such an amazing piece. And I think, you know, the characters that it's got on there to have the Jawa, which is like a, um, you know, one of the main, most difficult to find Trilogo figures, and to have, what was it, two... Two Jawas side by side. Two Jawas, yeah. Leia Hoff, Luke Bespin, it's got quite a few of the major, mostly de- most desired Trilogo figures on it. If it had a General Mating and a ERG, it would be priceless. <laughs> I was speaking- it's already priceless, be even crazier now. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was speaking to Dave about this when he announced it, and I said, have you ever considered cutting up the sheet itself? I was wondering, what do you? How do you feel about it now? You now you actually own it. <laughs> well, that's a tricky question. Um, <laughs> tricky, tricky question. I, I'm not opposed to that. Yeah, I, I would never fully cut it apart. Um, I've had some talks about possibly taking off a row or things like that, but uh, no, no decisions have been made. It's, it, you know, what's really cool about the piece is it is one of a kind. But I also look at it as how great would it be to be able to give a couple to friends that are very hard uh, very hardcore into proofs just so they have a, an example of it I, I love that portion of the hobby is being able to give something that nobody knew existed and have other people to be able to enjoy it as well i had you know while we were at celebration it came up in talks and we were drunk and someone had overheard and had brought it up you know there are some old school collectors that literally called me out about doing it and i was like you guys are the same ones that have cut up a ton of proof sheets over the years. How can you say that? Um, and I don't know if it's you know everyone feeling holier than now, but at the end of the day, at the end, you guys got to make your own decision, um, even if we don't like it. You know, I hate to have seen some of the proof sheets that have been cut up for no reason whatsoever, and because you could have really got a good premium to sell them as a full sheet, but for some reason people would cut them up. So 
I guess I'm a little hypocrite myself sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I say, you know, don't do it, but at the end of the day, you know, it's I want a couple of other people to be able to enjoy it was another portion of it um, without hurting it because it's still going to be a massive piece if I do it. So, but I'm not saying I am, just saying if I do it, it'll still be a massive piece. See, uh, Todd, I, you know, I'll be honest with you, I'd be against cutting it up, but I've also seen a proof sheet with four 65-backed TIE fighter pilots on it, so I'd be against it, but if it was for me, I seem to be a little more for it, if you get what I mean. <laughs> I do, for sure. Uh, and it's, you know, it is something I struggle with. It was, a really, it was probably the largest price tag I've paid for something in uh, many years, um, so the financial aspect could come into it. You know, I have, there's no decision that's been made. Um, some very close friends that have helped me over the years have really pushed uh, to get a piece of it, to own one. Um, so it's not something that I've considered. And to be honest, I still haven't received it. It's still in David's possession at the moment. Wow, okay, cool, man, really cool. It's such an amazing piece. I know uh, he sort of like blew everyone's mind where he sort of unveiled it at uh, one of the Father's From shows. No one was expected to see something like that. Yeah, <laughs> I pretty much from the... You know, David had... There was an email chain that I had, he had talked about getting it and blew my mind. And this was a, a couple of years back. And I tried to go after it back then. And he just had no interest. And then weirdly at the show, I just said, okay, so are you interested now? He's like, probably not. But if you made me an offer I couldn't refuse, uh, we would talk from there. Um, so, you know, it was a back and forth negotiations over a couple of days. Uh, but at the end, I was able to, to get the piece. Well, amazing. Congratulations, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, I, as a proof collector in general, it's just one of a kind, masterpiece. I mean, it's it's a grail. Uh, I know that word gets thrown around quite a bit nowadays, but it really is truly a grail piece. Now, also know you're putting together a revenge run, aren't you, of proof cards? I am. It's you know, been a that was my first run I ever completed back when I was collecting. I love the revenge set. You know, some collectors unfortunately had too much interest in it in the last few years and really spiked the prices to crazy amounts. Um, so I don't want to say I'm, I'm trying to buy them on the cheap because unfortunately that's not even possible nowadays. Uh, but I'm not willing just to throw two thousand dollars on a lame character. Um, so it's it's a process. I know I can complete it any time. I'm willing to shell, uh, shell big bucks out, but I've been trying to put it together at a reasonable price. You know, you know what I feel the real market is on them, and, and it happens. You know, I probably still pick up one or two a month, um, and right now at that pace, I'm probably just under a year and a half away from completing it. I'm always told that there's around about 50 of each. On the revenge set, but I'd be—is that correct? Because I always imagine there'd be less of some than there would be of others. Yeah, you know, from the numbers that we originally had, it was somewhere in that 50 range. But it's really not that accurate because there has been quite a few finds uh, in the last five years, in particular, where proof cards have come out of nowhere. Uh, and there's always revenges; they're always part of it. So I, I would say 50 is not—it's it's not a low number. I would say it's probably right in the under 60 range uh, for most characters. You know, there's a couple characters that are much harder to find, like the Rebel Commander. And really, actually, Rebel Commander is one of the only hard ones to find. Uh, the other ones are just popular, so they go for more money because of that. Yeah, so like Boba Fett and Darth Vader and... 
at the craziness of the market, those were both hitting five thousand dollars. Wow! Um, now you can't even you can't even get four thousand for either of them. You know, that that actually is probably the only piece in the market that I can think of that's kind of had a drop in price. And, and do you reckon the C3PO was the the blank template revenge proof? Oh, uh, it was an R2D2. Right. I believe okay. it's an R2D2 one. Yeah, that's a blank. And actually, there's. I'm sorry, that is definitely less than fifty. I don't know what the numbers. I think when I had last heard, it was in that twenty-five to thirty range. Uh, those are pretty difficult to find, as well as the blank ones. So there's a full blank one, and then there's the R2D2 backplate blank one. Still missing an R2. So if somebody has an R2, feel free to give me a shout, and we can work on something. <laughs> You're also collecting the box flats, aren't you, for the Revenge Run? If they pop up, I definitely purchase them. Uh, but you know, some of the prices that people have been asking for them. It doesn't make much sense to me, so I have to, I have to be smart somewhere with my money. <laughs> so those, I, I'm not actively collecting, but you know, if one pops in my lap and it's too good of a deal to refuse, I definitely will buy it. How many different revenge box flats were there? Let's see. Did, did it go throughout the entire 18. range, Todd? Or so, I don't believe so. Um, I, I know, I, I don't know the exact number. Right off the top of my head, I'm thinking you got the Adatra, you got the Millennium Falcon, uh, you have three of the mini rigs that I can think of, you have an X-wing fighter. Uh, God, I don't know that answer, but I I don't believe it went through the whole line. Did I'm it, pretty did sure it, it didn't. Did, did it go onto any of the Jedi ships and vehicles, or was it just sort of like the Star Wars Empire ones? Uh, for some reason, I feel there was a battle damaged one, but I don't remember which one. Uh, maybe it was TIE Fighter. I believe there was a battle damage one for sure. So I'm sure it would have went into Jedi. I mean, it was so close to production. I mean, literally it was any any ship that came out in that first run of production for Return of the Jedi probably would have had one. It just makes sense. Right. Because uh, it was ready to go. I mean, it was such a last-minute decision to pull it off and change it from Revenge to Return that it would just make sense that, there were, that some of the returns definitely would have just happened into that. I don't know whether this is correct, whether I've crossed wires on the, um, my research, but was you also looking at doing an ESB-21 back-proof run? I don't know how you knew that. <laughs> I have been secretly amassing that. Um, I guess now it's going to be much harder to finish. <laughs> yes, uh, at one point I was two away when I sold off my collection. One of the, the things that I've probably regretted most was, was selling off that run because it was such a hard run to put together. Um, now it's nearly impossible. Um, two reasons. One, I'm not even sure where the Ben Kenobi is. The only Ben Kenobi known is on a sample card. Uh, and it changed hands quite a few, to, or at least three or four times in a matter of four or five years right after I had sold it. Uh, and probably now the price would be you know, well in the 10,000 uh, 10, plus five five-figure range for sure and then there is a fet known to exist i have seen pictures of it um, and i worked on trying to get it for about five years before i sold off my collection and i could never make a deal with the owner to complete it Um, so uh, putting it together i think ultimately what i'd like to do is just have one each empire strikes back proof no matter if it's 31, 47, 41, 21. So just one character of each. Um, but I'd love to be able to try to put together a full 21 back proof run again at some point. Would the 21 backs be the hardest proof run to put together on the Empire? 
Oh gosh, no, the 47 is the hardest by far. Yeah, I mean, I there's only one. And if you get real technical, like you know, they have 45 A's, 45. You know, even with the, the different the numbers to it, that would be just as difficult. But 47 in general would be almost impossible. I believe there's only one or two figures that actually are known to have more than one of the 47 back. Uh, so it would be a darn near impossible collection because there's so many focus collectors that own that one-of-a-kind piece. And I don't think even – I really don't think five figures would even get some of those away from a lot of those focus collectors. So I think it's almost an impossible run unless you had unlimited amount of funds. There you go. Uh, Stu, you can get that 47 back Greedo, no problem. <laughs> 47 back Greedo. Trying to think where that ever ended up. I don't, I did, it wasn't in the Greedo run that the couple collectors had, so it's probably hidden away somewhere. Yeah, I'm looking out for the TIE Fighter pilot, uh, but I could only figures that were ever quoted to me was one. Yeah, that, that's it. Yeah, I, he's definitely not one of the multiples. Um, and I think I really believe there's only two of them. I think it was like Adat Driver and one other one, maybe Luke Bespin. I'm not sure, uh, but it's it's darn near impossible to complete. Well, something else in your collection, I, I don't know whether this was sold off in your initial selling in 2008 or whether this is since, but your proof sheet for the Imperial Shuttle, do you still own that? <sighs> no, I do not. Oh, um, that is stunning, isn't it? Before we get... Mi- I don't even remember who I sold it to. I, I tried finding my old records and I couldn't find it because uh, I was going to come with a ridiculous price to try getting it back and I have never been able to find it. I couldn't remember who I sold it to. It is stunning. Just before we discuss it um proof sheet could you give us the definition of a proof sheet i'll give you the best version i can give you on it so it's basically there would have been the chromlin sheet that first would have came out and you would have done a lot of your mark changes too the proof sheet would have been um, right before production meeting they would have they would have made them just to look at all sides the feel the where the logo was plus it was just kind of that last minute checking the last sample so to speak to make sure everything fit in line before they would go to the press and is this is this a one of a kind or have we got we're talking a few for the imperial shuttle yeah one of a kind it was the only one i've ever seen and the weird part is i had a hard time selling it for years uh when i was trying to sell it and unfortunately yeah i sold it pretty late on somewhere around two late 2009 which is a shame because I kind of started to come back in around 2010-ish, 2011-ish. So had that person never just contacted me out of the blue, it probably would have sat just dormant in my collection and eventually would still be here. Uh, But somebody had approached me at the perfect time and got it from me. Todd, what sort of uh, advice would you give to collectors who, I mean, a lot of collectors now have freshly come into the game uh, interested in prototypes, interested in proof cards. Would you have any sort of advice of how to? Because these aren't the kind of things that are usually found on eBay every day. No, um, a couple of things. First, I would say do your research, um, then do some more research, and then do even some more research. The archives are an unbelievable example uh, to find information out, and then rely upon a lot of us collectors who ha- have purchased them in the past. There's some really good guys in our hobby that will just help you throughout and don't let you get burned because the, the biggest thing I see from these younger collectors come in or newbie collectors that come in is they get burned and then they, they lose the love of the hobby because of it. Heck, there's even old time collectors that have been burned by some, some really bad uh, people in our hobby. So 
I think having a very open conversation, developing relationships with other collectors, putting the word out, um, and you know, having some money is going to help. <laughs> yeah. uh, but what we see is there's so many collectors who they come in like gangbuster and they're throwing away crazy money uh, to get pieces. And really all that does is it hurts the hobby in the long run uh, because it, it skews prices and they'll probably – it would, it would be very hard for them to ever recoup that cost, at least for quite a while. And it changes prices throughout the whole hobby that just are unrealistic. Um, right. Just some crazy things I've seen that people are offering. They're like, come on, that's that's literally three or four times what it's really worth right now. But you get these newer collectors that don't know well, haven't really talked to other old school collectors, or even just you know, people in the hobby to really ask questions. Number one mistake uh, or advice I can give is, if somebody tells you and you don't know them really, really well or, or they have a really unbelievably solid background or history in our hobby, if they tell you, okay, I have this piece, but you can't talk about it to anybody, red flag should be going up immediately. Um, right. And that was how people like Scott McWilliams were able to dupe so many collectors, including tons of old school collectors that duped on him because it was that secrecy part. So – if something you're not sure of and somebody says it's a one of a kind and you're only getting their background and it's not coming with a, a real COA. And I, and I use that word because you're starting to see COAs from people that just really shouldn't be putting them out there. So if you don't see them from people like Derby or, or things like that, be very careful uh, and just kick back for a minute, take a step back, really think hard about do some questioning and try to find somebody you can trust to ask more about that. So it, it's just really being careful developing relationships and things will come out it takes time uh, that's for sure uh, but things people's changes uh, people's interests change as well as sometimes they get offered something like a grail in their you know to their collection the price is so high that they need to sell off some of their prototypes to get to that piece and that's where you'll get your chance to get into it yeah i guess that that is one of the issues though is you don't want to draw too much attention to your one-of-a-kind offer you don't want to put too much spotlight on it just in case that one of a kind offer then that goes to another collector. I guess it's a, a bit of a juxtapose there. It's a, it's a hard line to go because you, you, you definitely don't want to put – I mean you end up – maybe you ask somebody who's been trying to search for that same piece. You know, Maybe you've kind of put somebody – now you put yourself into a bidding war. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, you just really need to be careful. You know, Maybe even try to find – collectors that don't focus on on that stuff on that part of their collection to ask them uh, but it's really important just to ask questions if you don't know yeah great advice another run which well, i think is another run which a chance to come i hope it's one that's uh, known if it is are you trying to put together a four up run as well <laughs> um you know i'm definitely i love the micro line I'm not trying to put up a four up run in particular but i'd love to put just a single run of a character from silicone mold uh, to wax um, all the way down to your your hard copy four up i have no characters in particular that i'm trying to work on i'm just waiting for any key piece to come up that i can try to build upon uh, but i do have a, a few four ups i'm really loving the one by ones the prototype one by one runs uh, those are some really cool pieces they have to those right now and so much stuff has come out in the last few years it's really cool i think it's an underappreciated line an undervalued line at that point too i, I believe you do have a, a silicon mold don't you um darth vader not anymore that was before your uh... that was yeah that was part of the sell-off unfortunately uh, so what what do you have in this run uh for four ups i got an ugna i have uh 
Lucan Tantan, a Chewbacca, a Stormtrooper, and I have one more, but I can't remember. <laughs> so a fair, a fair few. Could you just tell our listeners what a four-up is? Yeah, a four-up would have been, uh, it would be, it'd be usually made in a hard copy material, Dynacast. Um, actually, it's in a couple different versions. But what it is is, because they were so small, the figures, uh, the one-by-one micro figures, they had to blow them up to a four-by-four to a four times the, the amount to kind of look them through, see if they're going to make any changes, see the you know, the designs to it, the pattern, you know, maybe even the poses. Actually, that's probably the one thing I see uh, on some of the alternative sculpts. It's usually just the pose being changed a little bit. Um, they're very particular now. So that's the 4-Up was just uh, the version before they actually went to production where they would kind of verify, make sure there was no issues. They liked the pose. They liked, they liked the way it looked. And then they would shrink it back down, and they would use the one-by-one to, to make all the figures for them. Your Darth Vader one, you did have a, a gold version of him, didn't you? Yeah. I actually had a first shot. I had a gold, a silver, an unpainted, uh, hand-painted. It was, it was a really cool run. Guess I'm not, I can't verify why. I know it's been talked about in the past, but I've never fully understood why some of them were in gold and some were in silver. It didn't make much sense to me, uh, but I've heard it in the past. Uh, I think it's probably just them shooting it in different materials to see how it would come out and uh, the difference in look to them. There seems to be quite a lot of prototype items for the micro collection exist. Do you know why? Well... A lot of it comes down to two of the people that worked on the line being smart enough to take as much stuff from the morgue as possible when they were closing up. Uh, but a lot of those same people that worked on the production of them, they a lot of them just kept a lot of that stuff. They brought a lot of it home. They worked on it. Uh, but, yeah, the micro line probably has more figures, per, you know, per se, for every other line uh, that has a lot of the prototype stuff to it. We've been very blessed with that line to have so many cool things from the play sets, uh, to the unproduced playsets, uh, to the four ups, to the silicone molds, to the waxes, it's a, to the clay. I mean, there's even clay pieces. So the very first initial step to the run, uh, even made. So we're lucky, to be perfectly honest. It, it's just, uh, I, I think everybody had seen how Star Wars had been, uh, and, and the four up line came. I believe halfway through the Empire Strike Back line, so they knew that was super. It was going to be very popular. It was already very popular. So you know, these designers, they just were smart enough to take a lot of this home. I think a lot of it came from two people in particular, two designers uh, at Kenner in particular. That a lot of it has come from. Now the Blue Harvest items came from the. They did so. What I, I know a couple, I think like Rob and Matea can probably give a little bit better description on this, but how I remember this is the original silicone molds were for sale and they got picked up and the, these basement hunter guys, they went and started making four ups. The crazy part is they had some serious collectors that gave them the, the, the okay or they say, yeah, these are real. And I think it was Tom Tombush came up and said that they were real, uh, but unfortunately, you know, eventually it was discovered they were not. They were they were taken and made off of a real silicone mold from Kenner, but they weren't, you know, the time frame that they were made, and they weren't made internally in Kenner. They were made outside of Kenner. Uh, that's how we got those Blue Harvest pieces. Am I right in thinking that you collect Lily Lady figures as well? Uh, carded, yes. Well, carded, boxed, yes. I, I love that line. 
they're obviously a lot more difficult to get in the UK. Don't really see them that often. Most of them are obviously imported. When putting together a carded run, I mean, they seem very difficult to come across. Even I mean, some of yeah, them are, the card backs are even difficult. Yeah, for sure. So we have, you know, some of the figures are also very attractive because they have different photo art on it, like the uh, the C3PO and the R2D2. What we're we kind of looking at in collecting leddies. I mean, it was only a, it wasn't a whole run, was it? It was quite a limited run that they did. Yeah, I think there's three different backs, three different versions of the back. So um, really hard line to to find carded. The biggest problem, the bubbles are so thin. I mean, they're worse than the Tri-Logos and the Jedi runs. They just come right off the card. Um, A lot of, I would say, probably over half of the carded Letties are actually resealed. And the difference in price between a resealed and a carded for many years, was very, there was a very small difference. Only in the last couple of years has that changed um, because they, they were so difficult to find, period, that people just bought them either way. Because if it was an original bubble uh, on an original card with the original figure and the original weapon, uh, a lot of Coletti collectors, they, they had no problem still putting that into their collection. I, I mean, I did too, for sure. I would say almost half of my, well, about a fourth of my carded are resales. Some of them seem to come up a bit more often than others. What's some of the rarer carded uh, Lily Laddies? I believe Fed is probably the rarest, um, most desirable as well as the rarest. Uh, uh, but for some reason in Laddie, it's very rare. Uh, and it would, you know, if a, a real carded one came on the market, it would be a bloodbath. You so, would probably have six collectors going at it really hard. Because the R2 and the th- uh, 3PO, because it's different photo art, I imagine that'd be incredibly yeah. appealing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, anytime an R2 comes up, which uh, comes up a little bit more, it's there's always that's again, it's another one that you'll have five or six people that are still need one, and they're always going. There's always a battle for them. It, honestly, the Letties could probably trade more on the closed market than you see than most other figures. Um, you know, there's just a lot of private sales. Yeah, I mean, which is a shame because I think if they went up for sale on Facebook or something, you would see kind of like the the pouches, the pooches, or pox. <laughs> you would, <laughs> they would. It would just be. I think you would see prices really going crazy instead of everything trading behind the scenes on the Letties. Um, it was such. It was under nobody collected Letties. I mean, even as we started to see, you know, Palazzo becoming. I believe, it, maybe you guys can tell me if it's different, but it seemed like Kenner was what everyone always collected, even overseas. Everybody yeah. always wanted to have the American version of them, and a lot of these other versions were just underappreciated. Uh, but as that started to make a big change, probably around you know, maybe 07, 08, and you're starting to see a lot more foreign collectors come into the market, Letty still was underappreciated. I mean, nobody really wanted to get into Letty's, but then around 2010-11, I saw that Letty's became very popular, and now you went from seeing almost uh, no collectors trying to collect a set to just a ton of uh, people jumping on trying to to make a a run on them. How about the uh, Letty box ships? Did they do a full run of those, or is it just... A few different examples here and there. There's just a few different examples. I want to say there's somewhere around four or five different Letty, not including the mini rigs, because there's a lot of mini rigs, Letty's. Right. In fact, I think most of the mini rigs were made in Letty. Uh, but the regular Fox version, I think there's only four or five in total. Yeah. I can think of, you know, Vader's TIE Fighter and the Imperial Shuttle. Right. Uh, Millennium Falcon. And the B-Wing? I believe there's the B-Wing, yeah. Uh, that's the only ones that come to the top of my head. Might be another one or two in there that we're missing, but those are, I believe, are the four that I know for sure. 
Yeah, I really love the uh, Liddy Letty writing on the Return of the Jedi with the, the big X. It looks great. Yeah, it does. I love their little insignia. I love that. I don't know why. It's just a cool little insignia they have on there. Uh, amazing. Well, Todd, we'll start to wrap it up because I know your uh, your Sunday's only just beginning, you lucky thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't got to start worrying about that Monday for a good ten more hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What are you actively seeking at the moment? Is there anything you're currently chasing? Um, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You know, it's just really what catches my eye. Uh, you know, after having that Chewbacca focus for so long, um, I really felt I had missed out on getting other cool pieces just to add, uh, you know, a rare Chewbacca piece to my collection. So I try, I try to think I'm not going to have a focus again, of course. There's all these little mini focuses I have, uh, but I guess the I'd love to just be able to finish that revenge set in the next year and a half or so, uh, and then come close on a Jedi and a uh, Empire Strikes Back proofs. You know, just keep adding to those. But I, I, I guess in I just want to start at, keep the the 2D the production keep going that way. Uh, but eventually, I do plan on finishing my carded run. Just don't know when. You've got your finger in lots of pies, haven't you? <laughs> I do. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it, it makes it fun because there's always something available, and it doesn't have to be super high-priced. You know, picking up a one-by-one four-up micro, you can really get those for $150, $200 range. I mean, how great is that to add a prototype for such a low price? Um, so I always like that. And then, like I said, whenever I get – I can't find anything or I just don't have the funds to buy something really cool, I start picking up more carded figures. I tell you what I did find, and, and I wasn't going to mention much else. What I did come across was your—you did sell a little while back a Yoda Play-Doh prototype. Yeah, I thought it was fascinating the things like that were out there. I mean, it was less than the size of a quarter, if I remember. Picture of a quarter alongside it, so yeah, crazy that yeah, things like that. It, it didn't do anything for me. It, I picked it up in a in a trade years ago, and I thought it was really cool. Never found a cool way to display it, and it just bored me. So it literally sat in a box for years. I was like, I hate when things just sit in a box, though my garage is referred to uh, as a black hole sometimes because there's lots of stuff I haven't displayed or put up. So it just sits in my garage. But, you know, that piece always disturbed me just for not because I thought it was such a cool piece, but I just didn't have any attachment to it. Man, strange bits like that, isn't it? What other run would you like to do you ever consider starting up? I know you've got so many going on. If I had to say now, I'm definitely going to do this one next. What would you choose? I had to say next. I know that I'm going to hate myself for saying it, but eventually I would love to put together a tri-logo carded run. It's been on my mind for years and years and years, but I just never have fully gone after it. Excellent. Another another treat one there, then. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> More interest. stuff to add. <laughs> out of interest, if you were going to return to a figure focus, what would you go with? Probably a version of Han Solo. I really like the Endor. I really I love the Bespin. I wouldn't go after Hoth. There's just too many Hoth uh, Han collectors. It would just you'd never finish it, or you wouldn't be able to add a ton to it. I guess Han Bespin would, or Han Trench Coat. One of the two of those would be where I would probably go. Yeah, nice. Right. Well, Todd, final question, which we ask everybody. Then the Earth's about to meet its demise, and we're all being transferred to another planet. There is room for just one piece of your collection. What will you be packing and why? This is a difficult question for you, isn't it, Todd? Yeah, <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Probably be my Luke X-Wing. It's one of the only original characters I still have from childhood. 
Um, and I just loved the heck playing out of that with my snow speeder. Snow speeder was by far my favorite vehicle as a child. That Luke X-Wing just had a, a ton of fun playing with that. <laughs> and like I said, it's, it's one of my only original loose ones. So you know, I'd love to say that it's the value one because that just makes more sense. But at the end of the day, who cares? You know, the value, if you're on another planet, it's worthless anyway. So I'd probably exactly. wouldn't take the one that would make the most – had the most sentimental value. Wonderful. Well, Todd, we've only – in my notes, we've only gone down about halfway down the list – such a vast range. We will have to get you on again. Perhaps we could um, pencil it in for like 18 months and see if you do manage to complete that <laughs> revenge run. This <laughs> sounds good, yeah. Happy to do it any time, and hopefully my internet will be a little bit better that day. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Um, thank you ever so much, Todd. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Um, Cheers, Todd. And we'll talk to you guys soon. So hopefully you guys will be coming down to Orlando. I will. I will definitely be there, Todd. That's Grant, right? That's a, yeah, I'll be at the bar. I thought so. Rich, <laughs> I give you a deal, Grant. We'll meet at the bar and I'll buy you the first couple shots. Ah, uh, sounds um, sounds perfect. Hey, what kind of time. first what kind of first shot are we talking about, Todd? Are we talking about action figure or alcohol? Oh, it's alcohol. Oh, brilliant! All the, the Jaeger, the Jaeger will be flowing. <laughs> <laughs> Jaeger or Fireball? You yeah, got to start making your choice now. <laughs> I prefer to have a Jaeger, I think, to a first shot. So there we go. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I'll I'll take the well, first shots if anybody wants to bring first shots for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Todd, thank you ever so much, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, guys. Talk to you guys soon.
TV, carbonite, tropicals, nice littles, onto with a sensoscope, test the rope, we broke solo in a trench coat. I'm a Star Wars fan, man. I'm a Star Wars fan, man. The Imperial Clan, man. Hoffa Trooper, hand man. Who can bend with different hair, man? I've got every man. I'm a Star Wars fan. Right, now over to Jez for this month's newest acquisitions. Hello, what have we here? Good new acquisitions. One thing, this is totally different. I can't. It's too big. Help him! Head on there. Give us a hand with this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, too. I feel terrible. I hope next month. He'll be back. Rebellions are built on hope. Now the universe has changed forever. The Star Wars Power of the Force Collection. When Darth Vader and his stormtroopers attack, join Princess Leia, Luke Skywalker, and Han Solo. Escape in the mighty Millennium Falcon. Experience the real movie sounds of light speed. When Darth Vader's TIE Fighters are on your tail, hear the force of the Falcon's turbo lasers. Can you blast Vader's TIE Fighters to pieces? Never underestimate the power of the force. The Star Wars Power of the Force Collection, each sold separately from Kenner. Okay, welcome to this month's Oddball section. This month I've joined by Chris B of Jedi Business. Welcome to the Vintage Rebellion, Chris. Well, thanks for having me. What we're going to actually set out to do today is a little bit of a modern twist, which isn't something that we usually do on the Vintage Rebellion. And I thought Chris is obviously the best guy that I know when it comes to modern collecting to talk about these kind of things. And I sort of like want to discuss the sort of uh, vintage fingerprint and its influence on modern collecting. Chris, you're also a uh, podcaster yourself, aren't you? Yeah, I'm hosting the uh, the Toy Run Star Wars Action Figure Cast, and I'm also co-hosting the uh, the main show of the Galaxy of Toys podcast. And how are they going? Going really well. <laughs> the uh, the Galaxy of Toys podcast gets together about once a month, where we talk about you know um about everything really, everything that's like Star Wars collecting related. The uh, the Galaxy of Toys podcasting network has a whole bunch of collecting shows on it. So there's uh, Ryan Bizey who does the uh, Collecting Cosmos, where they talk about, you know, strange Star Wars collectibles. And, uh, Tom Burgess from IGrewUpStarWars.com, he runs a nostalgic kind of podcast on it. So where he talks about, you know, 
more like vintagey times, the late 70s, that kinds of stuff. And uh, there used to be the Spinner Rack, which was all about, you know, Star Wars comic book collecting. So there's a whole bunch of bunch of shows on that network. So if you haven't done so yet, then uh, I recommend you check it out because, um, you know, it's just a bunch of collectors getting together talking about Star Wars collecting, basically. So Yeah, I do. I really, uh, I really enjoy your podcast. Also, I remember, I think it might have been last year, uh, you guys did a special on the Power of the Force 2 figures being um, 20 years old. Yeah, yeah. We like to do specials like that and commemorate, you know, certain events, you know. Um, I can't believe it. 20 years, Power of the Force 2. I mean, that's just crazy, right? Yeah, that, that, absolutely. I gotta be honest, that actually really inspired me. I really enjoyed it. That was probably my favorite uh, podcast that you guys have done. So much so, I contacted Rich from the podcast and he sent me down some Power of the Force 2 figures. And I was like, I'm gonna start collecting these again. <laughs> And then realized, hang on, I haven't got any room. What am I doing? I can't go back down this road. But I thought it was uh, fantastic. But like you say, it's like we look at the vintage era from, say, you know, 1985 is where major retail places were, you know, restocking uh, Star Wars figures. And then there was that, you know, long period of time felt like forever till 1995 with the uh, reemergence of Power of Force 2. That was 10 years, that gap. And we are now 21 years past. The introduction of Power of the Force 2, it's insane. Yeah, that's crazy. And it's still going. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not ending anytime soon, so. How, how, how far into, uh, action? I mean, I think I stopped at like 300 or 400, right, around about 2002. So how, how many are there now? Well, I, I never stopped collecting them. So I try to get one of each and I mainly collect loose. I pick a couple of them up, uh, you know, card it if I really like the card back, but, um, I think we're a little over 3,000 at this point. 3,004, 3,500, something like that. Wow. Do you display all these? No. No. <laughs> you know, that's the thing, though. You know, in, in 95, when you started collecting, you're like, oh, of course I'm going to display them. Yeah. Because nobody knew how many they were going to release, right? Right. And then it just grew and grew and grew. And then, you know, I told myself, well, you know, one day when I have a house, you know, you know I'll have a room, I'll display them all. And then, you know, you have a house and you get married and you have kids and, and, they're still making figures and they're, you know, you realize that you will never have enough room to display it all. It's just not possible. And you are aware that, um, they're making new Star Wars films. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as long as I'm having fun with it, you know, right. I'll, I'll be, I'll be doing it. So if it wasn't fun, you know, I wouldn't be doing it. So as long as I enjoy hunting those figures down and, and collecting them and buying them, um, you know, I'll, I'm all in. Do you know, I got a little bit of a nostalgia buzz when the Force Awakens figures came out, and they were the first modern figures I purchased in, like, I don't know, maybe 15 years, mm-hmm. you know, and um, it was insane, because I had this nostalgic buzz, but back then I was a kid who'd have to catch a bus, and now I had a car and money, and I could just drive around <laughs> and, and buy these things, whereas before, you know, I'd have to travel, like, two hours on a bus to buy a single action figure, but it was nice to reminisce about those times. Yeah, do you like the, the packaging that they came in? That they came in? The new, the new stuff. The yeah. Rogue, yeah, I do. I like the artwork. Yeah. Yeah. I See, that's nice. That's nice to hear because uh, usually from you know collectors who are just mainly into vintage, they all want the vintage collection to come back. You know, the vintage style card backs. But you know, I I really like the uh, the new stuff too. You know, it's really uh, it really gets your uh, imagination going, especially the Rogue One packaging now that they have. Yeah. Uh, the the artwork on the side of the character. Um, I think it's really really well done. Really interesting thing I heard a couple of weeks ago was that you know back in the vintage days on the card backs you'd have collect all 
you know, 45, 65, 77, 92. Mm. And I hear that that came to an end because uh, it was like made illegal to mass market to children. So you could you could put like three or four figures on the back, but you couldn't put like 70 on them and sort of get, you know, get your kids to sort of like force your force their parents to buy all of these action figures. It was like to hold back on mass marketing to children. Have you ever heard of that about that? Um, no, I, I think there's a bunch of uh, explanations out there. I actually just talked to Jake on, on Toy Run about that. Um, and he said that he believes the reason they're not doing that anymore is because it's false advertising. So they can't advertise figures which are not in circulation. Right. Right. So back in the vintage days, you'd have, you know, 70 or, you know, how, however many figures on the back. And then you would probably be able to find those figures on the store shelves as well. And if you remember, the uh, some of the Power of the Force 2 figures had that on the back as well, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, but they stopped doing it at some point. And Jake believes it's due to uh, false advertising. They can't advertise a product that's not available. Right, got so, you. Yeah. I, I always loved that as a kid because you could always dream about you know finding that red snaggle tooth for that Jawa. Oh, yeah. That was the best. That was a checklist, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's great when you see uh, you pick up a vintage backing card now, and you can see some kid has crossed them or circled them, and just think, ah, oh, you know, remember doing that when I was a kid. Yeah, no, the new packaging. If you turn around any of the new figures, it's just full of warnings in all kinds of different languages. <laughs> so uh, there's no room anymore to display any other products. Really, it's just warnings and safety tips and what have you you've developed uh, jedi business just for our listeners in case anyone hasn't actually come across it what, what is jedi business uh, it's a star wars action figure database um i started uh it went online in march of 2004 wow and it was just a you know it was a checklist for myself basically i thought okay i'm gonna buy figures um and i'm gonna keep track of it online and um it just grew and grew and grew. And then, you know, I got all these emails from people saying, hey, I love the website. It's really helpful. And so, you know, I kept it online and I kept maintaining it. And it's just grown and, you know, it's, it's still out there. And it has pretty much, it's not a complete, complete list because there's not, no such thing as a complete list of Star Wars action figures these days because people, you know, look at all kinds of different variations. Um, but it's fairly complete as, as far as I'm concerned, you know. I mean, vintage, obviously... Um, there's so many different variations out there these days that it's pretty much impossible to list all those figures. Um, but, you know, having Gus Lopez living 10 minutes from me, I was lucky to go over to his place and he let me take pictures of, you know, some of the unproduced Ewok figures and the uh, unproduced droids figures that came out or that never came out, basically. So I have those in the database so you can check those out. Yeah, there's some cool stuff on there. So, so yeah, and I do, you know, event coverage and interviews with Hasbro, but it's mainly it's mainly modern stuff. Saying about variations, uh, is that with modern variations as well? Is it like a big, expansive world of modern variations? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's a leftover from, from vintage days. You know, that's something that swapped over. I mean, if you remember Power of the Force 2, there were all kinds of card variations at the beginning. I mean, people went nuts about, like, the serial numbers on the back of the cards, Right there's the uh, 001, 002 variations, and all kinds of stuff. Right. And you know, I think because people had you know so much time to spend with with the vintage figures, that they you know they they looked at every detail during the vintage times and they tried to find the last variations that they might not have, you know. And and that just when the new line started up, I mean, it just kind of swapped over. 
And still to this day, I mean, there's still variations. I mean, there's, um, I think the last one I was hunting down is a, uh, Sabine from Star Wars Rebels. She had a differently painted visor. Um, so yeah, people are still hunting for those kinds of things. Yeah, I guess, um, yeah, that, I never really recognized it, but I guess a lot of these sort of vintage collecting ideas and concepts were a major, you know, push during the, the sort of 90s Power of the Force 2 era. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you see, uh, the vintage collection that came out in, well, actually the, uh, or the vintage original trilogy collection, that's what it was called in, uh, late 2004. Um, when, uh, that was the first time that, uh, Star Wars came out on DVD, right? The, the original trilogy. Yeah. And for that, I think Lucasfilm announced that during spring of 2004. And, you know, for Hasbro to have a product ready, it takes them about 12 to 18 months. So what they did for that was they went back and they went, you know, the nostalgic route and, you know, they released a bunch of, uh, figures on vintage style card backs, you know? Um, uh, those are quite unique because they have the. I'm, I'm not sure I haven't really looked at the any of the other modern lines, but they have the Kenner logo on the front as well. Uh, yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know when Hasbro took over from Kenner? You know, I believe that uh, Tonka, the company Tonka, bought Kenner in the early '90s, and I think then Hasbro bought Tonka in about '92, I believe. Right. So it was early '90s that Hasbro took over Kenner. You know, I remember Kenner in the 80s, they had, after Star Wars, they had Mask, which I thought was fantastic. The real mm-hmm. Ghostbusters and Batman, they seemed to be flourishing. Uh, any reason why there was a, a takeover? I have no idea, no. But then um, when they actually transformed over to the new Star Wars line in 1995, they were still branding Kenner. Yeah, I think for the first two years, they used the Kenner logo on the packaging. Right, okay. But if we just, you know, briefly have a look at the, we'll move on and... Have a look at the modern line. Uh, one of the first things that caught my eye is the Power of the Force Classic 4-pack. Mm-hmm. It's got like a small head hand, vintage figure, Luke, yep. Vader, Chewbacca. Now, are these sculpts actually the same as the vintage ones? No, they're not. They're different sculpts. All right. And they also have a different copyright imprint on them. So, you know, they say 1995 on them or 1994, actually. One of them. I don't remember exactly which one, but they definitely don't have the 77 or 78 or what have you uh, copyright on them. Ah, right. That always confused me because, like, I mean, would they have um, would they have used the old figures to make those? Well, rumor has it they used old figures and they basically took old figures and created the molds off of those. Apparently, they did not have the original molds available anymore. Right. So. That's that's what I heard, but I've never heard an official statement about that. Because we, we get a lot of collectors on and they talk about how expensive it is to get the tool in. So I was wondering if they just had the old tool in from the 70s and 80s and just, you know, recast these new figures. Mm-hmm. Now, you're a vintage-only collector mainly, right? Yeah. How would you feel if they would do that? If they would go ahead and say, you know what, let's just redo all of those Kenner figures uh, and I'm... use the original use the original molds if they if they would still have those. Uh, I don't think I'd like that to be honest, Chris. <laughs> I would uh, I would panic quite a bit. What I would like to see though is a modern line done in the vintage style, so like the Force Awakens figures, but done as if they were made in the seventies and eighties. I think that'd be fantastic. Mm-hmm. A lot more of a basic design. But um, no, I'm glad to hear. I was never sure of that classic four pack. Whether you know you could easily get duped into buying you know modern figures that were uh, cast off the old ones. 
does, is that the same for because um, you know as the as the sort of power of the force two range moved on, there was the Shadows of the Empire release, and one of those releases was IG eighty eight, right? And that looks just like the vintage one to me. Is that, are they similar or? They're very similar, um, but again, easily distinguishable by the uh, the copyright imprint on the figure. Wow. So yeah, so that's that's the way to go and. Actually, I mean, with IG-88, not so much, but if you have a Luke, for example, from the uh, the four-pack, and you know what the uh, original vintage figure looks like, I mean, that, that head sculpt looks nothing like the vintage figure. I mean, it really does look quite different in person. Right. So I don't think anybody could, you know, mistake that for an original figure, unless you really don't know what you're looking at. But, you know, if if you had that or still have the original farm boy Luke in your collection and you compare that to the four pack version, you can definitely tell that it's, it's completely different. Amazing. And about the, uh, the weapons as well, cause they're so easy to reproduce. That's a good question. I think there are some differences on them as well. I think they have some, I know what it's called, but, uh, um, you know, um, some of the, uh, plastic residue that when they come out of the molds, I don't know exactly what to call that, but. Oh, like flashing. The, yeah, so I think I think that's distinguishable as well. I've never really compared them side by side, but I do remember specifically that when I took it out of the packaging, I, I could tell that this was not something that I remember, you know, from my vintage figures. Right. Okay. Well, that's good news because we have so many issues with reproduction weapons and now you know uh, reproduction action figures as well. So that's that's good news for vintage collectors. About two months ago, I had a uh, Star Wars uh, collector on who. Who restores figures, and he was using um, the modern Power of the Force 2 EV99's arms to fix vintage EV99 figures, because obviously their arms are quite brittle on that vintage figure. And he hmm. says that they were pretty much identical. There's only slight differences. Have you come across uh, stuff like this in the modern line? Uh, no. Mm-mm. No, it's the first time I ever hear somebody dissembling a figure to you know, make a vintage figure better, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. He says the arms are really similar. Now, I'm, I remember the EV-99 Power of the Force 2 figure. It's actually quite different, but, yeah, apparently the arms are very similar. I was wondering if there are any other examples of that. No, I mean, for the modern, in the modern toy line, Hasbro reused parts all over the place. Right. I mean, you know, like Imperials and, you know, Stormtroopers and what have you. I mean, they... You know, they reuse parts wherever they could possibly could, but to identify those, you know, with over, I don't know, 3,000 different figures at this point, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't think anybody kept track of that, you know. But there was a time, though, during uh, Power of the Force 2 when people talked about, you know, oh, this is a kit-bashed figure, wow. you know. Oh, yeah, Hasbro took the, you know, the uh, the lower body of this figure, and they just made a new head sculpt, and they took an upper body from another figure. You know, a kit bash figure. So they certainly reused a lot of the parts, but you know, taking modern figures like from the Power of the Force Two in particular to uh, improve your vintage figures, I've never heard of such thing. But you know, apparently it works with uh, with the droid. So you know, he sort of stunned me when he said it because it never occurred to me before. Um, whilst you know, I was reading up about Power of the Force Two figures recently, what I did notice is uh, when the cards changed from orange to green. Uh, they were releasing Return of the Jedi kind of figures uh, to go along with the Empire and Star Wars ones they'd released on the orange cards. But they seem to have released a lot of what we, the vintage collectors call the Last 17 in one go. The Imperial Gunner, the Han Carbonite, Luke Stormtrooper, Yak Face, and the A-Wing Pilot 
all seemed to turn up around 96, 97. Do you think that was conscious on the part of uh, Kenner, considering it was the last figures made? I can't tell you. You know, I don't know what their their marketing was behind that at the time, but I've been always wondering, maybe Kenner, like Hasbro at that point, didn't even know how long the, uh, the Star Wars action figure line was going to continue. Right. If you look at 95 through 2000, the amount of figures that they've released is just staggering, you know. So it kind of felt like, you know, they're trying to cash in on this as much as they can. Right. And... Um, you know, who knows what, what they internally thought about how long this Star Wars thing was going to last the second time around, basically, you know. Also, obviously, with the, the figures that were released uh, from 95 to 99, uh, a lot of vehicles were released as well. Um, do they still release a lot of vehicles? I don't see as many as I, I remember uh, back in the early days of collecting. Yeah, no, they, they scaled down drastically um, over the last, I don't know, three or four years. I mean, during the uh, the Clone Wars era in 2008, um, all the way until about 2012, 2013, I mean, we got a ton of vehicles. Um, but it, they just stopped, and they didn't stop completely. They still consider, apparently that's what they say, is, is um, they still consider the vehicle line uh, an important part of the Star Wars action figure line. And Mark Boudreau, who you probably know, he, he designed most of the vintage vehicles, he said that vehicles are an important part because... For kids, when they play with the figures, they need to have the figures get from point A to point B. Yeah. And that's why vehicles will always be a part of it. But the thing is, though, they, I guess they might have gotten too expensive to produce. They, they tried to, uh, you know, come up with a, a smaller scale. So they scaled down, for example, the Slave One a few years ago. They made it much smaller. Uh, they did some of the uh, Jedi Starfighters and they made it much smaller. They would still hold a three and three quarter inch figure, but they wouldn't be as big as as some of the uh, previous releases. And I guess they were trying to hit a lower price point with those. Um, but that was first the fir- but those were the first indications that uh, the vehicle line, you know, isn't doing as well anymore as it used to. And so for Rogue One, for example, when we look at that, they've released um, uh, the U-wing fighter and the Tie Striker. And they're coming out with the the, bit, the big addict. I don't know if you've seen that, but it looks uh, pretty cool. Yeah. But those are really the uh, the only three big vehicles um, for the movie. Right. And there's a bunch of other vehicles, like the mini rig type vehicles in the class one assortments. They also have a class two assortment, but those uh, are all like re-releases almost, except for I think there's only one new speeder bike this year, and that's based on Star Wars Rebels. So in terms of vehicles, I mean, they've really scaled down big time. But they're still making them. Because back in the Power of the Force 2 line, a majority of it, it appears that they just reissued the vintage vehicles with just, you know, slight modifications here and there. Like the the Falcon was reissued, the Land Speeder, the TIE Fighter, the Speeder Bike, the Scout Walker, a, uh, the A-Wing Snow Speeder. X-Wing, yeah. Yeah, um... Yeah, different paint applications, some modifications to the sounds, I think. But yeah, I think that was a pretty smart move on Hasbro's behalf back then, right? I mean, if you already have the tooling, uh, probably saves a whole bunch of money right there. That was that was sort of like uh, what my question was going to be. If they still have the tooling for building these vehicles. Yeah, you know, nobody really knows. Um, I had the... Uh, the chance to talk to Steve Evans, who's in charge of the uh, the Star Wars Hasbro uh, action figure line, uh, just recently. 
And we asked him the very same question, and he didn't quite answer that for us. Right. Um, I think there are some some rumors out there that some of the toolings are being used as anchors in the harbor of Hong Kong. <laughs> I don't know if there's any truth to that. I don't know how they, how they would end up there. But um, as far as the original tooling, I don't know how long that kinds of stuff would last, you know? Yeah. The, uh, the later releases, some of these vehicles, I'm actually... I don't actually know that much about the Sandcrawler, the Imperial Shuttle, the Atat, and the B-Wing. Were those based on the vintage molds as well? Absolutely, yeah. Well, I'm not sure about the Sandcrawler, because right. that's one of the vehicles I never picked up, but the uh, the Imperial Shuttle, yeah. It's, a, it's the same as the Jedi one. Same as the Jedi one, yeah. And they're, they're still reissuing things like the Imperial Shuttle, aren't they? There's new editions of it coming out every couple of years. Well, the Imperial Shuttle, I think, um, last time it came out was during this Saga collection. That was in 2006, so that's about 10 years ago now. Um, so, yeah, no, they're not really reissuing those anymore. Right. So the, the 2006 Saga one, would that be, you know, in all respects, similar to the, the Jedi one? Absolutely, yeah. Wow, that's insane. Yeah. Well, I, so, you know, I keep on saying that the, some of these Star Wars toys are too expensive, but maybe I should just get some modern ones. Yeah, I, I don't know what's holding you back from picking up some modern <laughs> stuff. <laughs> the one thing going through the sort of vintage vehicles, what I did notice is they didn't touch on any of the uh, the monsters or the play sets or the mini rigs. They've all seemed to have been moved to one side and new monsters and new designs have come in, new play sets, and they haven't really bothered with the mini rigs. Did any of the mini rigs actually turn up at all? No. Mm-mm. No, they have not reissued any of the mini rigs. Except for, wait a second, I think the speeder bike they did, right? Speeder yeah. bike. Um, but no, other than that, I don't think so. And the speeder bike is basically identical, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Um, you know, talking about the Imperial Shuttle, though, I think what's funny about that is that when you open up the hatch, you know how there are some peg holes, uh, some pegs in there so you can put the figures on there? Right. And the vintage figures, um, they had bigger holes in their feet than the modern figures. Right. Got so the, the modern figures don't even fit on those pegs. Ah, okay. which I think is is funny. Yeah, that's I think that's something that they they never took the time to fix that. So and I guess they would have changed all the copyrights on there as well. Yes, I I would I would imagine so. I have not checked on that though. Right, I may well, definitely gonna have to check that out. Um, as we moved into sort of like the episode one, episode two lines, Power of the Jedi, I didn't really see that much replication in regards to the vintage line. And that's where I left Modern Collector. But you say in 2004 there was a resurgence of uh, sort of vintage Star Wars. Right. That was in 2004 for the uh, the DVD release. They uh, the basic modern line had it was called the original trilogy collection, and it basically the car design was all new, but it looked kind of vintage. It had the uh, the double racetrack. It had the uh, you know uh, a picture of the the character basically behind. Well, like a background basically behind the actual action figure. So it looked very vintagey, but it wasn't really vintage. But what they did though, in addition to that, they had a subline called the Vintage Original Trilogy Collection where they released 12 figures, um, on, you know, vintage style card backs. And the interesting thing was their motto back then was, we're going to release old looking card backs, but the figures were state of the art sculpts. So you would get, the best of both worlds, basically. Right. The great-looking packaging, but at the same time, you would get the most modern sculpting that was possible at the time. So that was in 2000, 
2004, at the end of 2004, and that was really, really popular. And they continued that until about 2006. So 2005 saw another six figures, uh, and then 2006 saw, 2006 over to 2007 saw another few figures. And one of the coolest figures there was the, uh, the mail away, uh, George Lucas in Stormtrooper disguise figure. Right. And it's the same Stormtrooper card back. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. But I've seen vintage figures. Well, not vintage figures. When I've seen modern figures of vintage backing cards, I've seen like Phantom Menace figures. Is that part of the same range? No, that was, well, it's kind of. Uh, that's called the Vintage Collection. That began uh, at the end of 2012. Where they took the, uh, the basic main line and just said, okay, we're going to do vintage style cards as our main focus. Right back in 2004, 5, and 6, or over in 2007, actually, it was more like a subline. They only released a handful of figures each year. Right. But in 2012, they decided, okay, we're just going to name this the vintage collection and this is going to be the basic assortment. So every Star Wars action figure that was released had that kind of packaging. One of the ones I saw, which I thought was one of the best Star Wars figures released, was the uh, Gamorrean Guard. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think that's probably my favorite Star Wars, modern Star Wars action figure. Uh, that is just a beautifully sculpted figure. It's yeah. unbelievable. So when they made this transition and made sort of like the nostalgia, uh, vintage look and feel their main selling point, is it, did they bring more stuff out then? I, I, you know, I think I've seen sort of like 12-inch figures. I've seen... Um, sort of Skywalkers and Tauntauns in vintage packaging. Right. There's um, right. There's a Landspeeder in vintage packaging. There was some. Um, there's a Tie Fighter in vintage packaging. Uh, Snowspeeder. Uh, the Tie Interceptor. They also did some uh, prequel vehicles, like the the Republic gunship, for example, had packaging that was vintage inspired. Um, they did the Adat based on Endor. With, you know, they painted the the feet brown. So that was a Toys R Us exclusive here in the U- in the U.S. Um, yeah, they did a whole bunch of those, and they basically they embraced all the Star Wars movies. It was not just the original trilogy; it was all of Star Wars, and that's why you saw the Phantom Menace figures and Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith figures in that line. Um, they even had some Clone Wars figures released uh, during the Vintage Collection. Wow, I, I really like the idea of it. You know, for me, as a vintage collector, it looks really cool. It's nice to see them displayed in the shops. So when did they sort of cease this sort of modern vintage style packaging? That's a good question. Let me look it up. <laughs> I don't know. I started in 2012. I think it went on for like two years, something like that. Oh, actually, I was BSing you before. It started, sorry about that. It started in uh, fall of 2010, and it lasted until 2013. Amazing. So it went on for about three years. Is there any other, has Hasbro ever said that they would consider bringing back that sort of style? Oh, yeah. I mean, people are asking them all the time. Um, I asked them multiple times. They say they already confirmed that it is coming back. Uh, the only question which they have not answered is when it's going to come back. So a lot of collectors think that they might do something next year for the 40th anniversary. Well, of course. So that would be the perfect opportunity for them to do something like that. Yeah. So hopefully they'll bring it back. I don't keep up to date with the modern stuff, but you know, I was walking through Asda, which is like our Walmart, and they had Angry Birds, and they had sort of like the empty box kind of mail away, but for Angry Birds. I remember seeing that as well, yeah. You know, and I was like, hang on a minute, that's that, that's like mega vintage. Like, you know, most people won't even know what that is. But uh, did they actually 
did they do a mail away empty box promotion for the modern line? Um, they did. Yeah, that was in two thousand five. Right. Actually, that was the uh, early bird kit. Um, yeah, and they mailed you the figures home after a few months, and uh, it had the same figures like the vintage ones. So there was R two, there was Chewie, Luke, and uh, Leia. Yeah, because I keep on, you know, I stumble across this stuff on eBay where you see something. It looks like the early bird mail away, and it's like you know, twenty five quid, and you you know, I jump and think, oh my god, I'm gonna buy it, and <laughs> you know, notice, hang on a minute, that doesn't look right. So you know, it's, so Hasbro are really aware then of you know, sort of like their the vintage heritage and and how they market, release, and and design their toys, I guess. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I think the people running Hasbro or the Barge, um, they also grew up with Star Wars action figures. Right. Right. Um. Yeah, it was uh, in the middle of 2000, 2000s, around 2005, 2006. Daryl DePriest was in charge of the Hasbro brand uh, for Star Wars. And uh, he was a huge Star Wars fan himself. I mean, he grew up with vintage uh, Kenner figures, you know, just like we did. And the same holds true for Steve Evans, who is now in charge of the uh, Star Wars action figure line at Hasbro. He's also, uh, you know, he's actually from the UK. He grew up in Brighton. Um, he's a huge Star Wars fan, like Star Wars action figure fan. I mean, huge collector himself. Yeah, I mean, they they are very aware of the heritage. Well, that, that must be a dream job, being a Star Wars collector and then you know, making decisions on the modern Star Wars line. That's a dream job, surely. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, you know, when I asked Steve, you know, if he considers that to be his dream job, he's like, oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, you know, Star Wars action figures for him were always there, apparently, you know? I mean college days and you know um yeah it was always always there for him and so now he gets to actually make decisions on what figures they release you know i mean that's pretty cool yeah you know i was picking up uh the other day the release of the sears three packs really rare vintage uh three packs and they've redone them that is correct yeah yeah they redid those um i think most of those were exclusively to target here in the u.s but yeah you're right they redid those yeah, I thought that was really cool. It's, it's so many different nods back. You know, one of the vehicles I think that they missed from the vintage line for obvious reasons back in the early 90s, but I've seen released now, is the Imperial Troop Transporter. Yeah, it had, um, that's right. Yes. It came back in Star Wars Rebels. Yeah. Right? Yeah, do you, is there a lot, like, um, like I noticed in the Clone Wars, they had, uh, Blue Snaggletooth made an appearance, sort of like a nod to the vintage line. Is there a blue snaggletooth uh, figure out there yet? In the modern line, yeah, there's uh, there was one released in 2004. It was a Kmart exclusive actually. Here, it was packed in uh, with a three pack, but that's the only modern blue snaggletooth uh, that they've released so far. Wow, it's crazy. I didn't actually realize just you know just by speaking to you how how much vintage stuff is actually out there because I know Gentle Giant have gone you know full blown what they twelve inch. Reproductions of the vintage line. Oh, that's right, the jumbo figures, right? Yeah, are you interested in those at all, Chris? I'm, I'm not. Um, although I did order the uh, Luke Jedi that's going to come out this fall. Right. Yeah. I just, you know, I love Luke Jedi. It's always, it's always been my favorite Star Wars action figure. So I was like, oh, okay, I gotta pick that one up. Um, but no, it's, you know, with the thing is with the three and three quarter inch line or even the six inch line now, if you're into those and you're trying to stay complete on those, um. That is a very expensive hobby, you know? <laughs> so you have to pick and choose, you know, uh, what you like to pick up. So, but no, when I saw that Channel Giant, you know, announcement about the, uh, Luke Jedi 12 inch, I had to pick that one up. So, 
Yeah, it seems like there's more than just Hasbro have gone back to mind the vintage era, but, you know, like we said, Angry Birds have done it, uh, Gentle Giant have done it. Can you think of any others that have gone back and sort of either taken influence from the packaging or from the figures themselves? Well, you mentioned the early bird. Uh, not the early bird kit, but the, um, what was it? The uh, Angry Birds yeah. kit. Um, they had something like that there. Um, they've done a bunch of... Uh, it's not really Star Wars action figure related, but I know they've done some, uh, what are they called, uh, pins, you know, for Star Wars Celebration and stuff like that, uh, where they did like all the different characters, right? Well, and sure, they were stylized, but there was clearly a nod to the vintage canon line. Right. If you remember, if you remember those, yeah. Um, I, I think it's been all over the place. I mean, one of my favorite nods in the modern toy line was the, like you mentioned, the early bird kit that came out in 2005. One of the figures, the uh, the Luke Skywalker figure, actually had a telescoping lightsaber. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. So you know, it was a new, it was a brand new sculpt, and it looks nothing like the original Kenner figure, but they did give him the uh, the telescoping lightsaber. Amazing. So yeah, so I thought that was a, a nice nod, you know, because that's something like you mentioned, you know, a lot of people might not even know what this is all about, you know. Right. So I mean, you have to know the the Kenner figures in order to understand that, you know. So yeah, it's nice to see that it's got you know the vintage line has so much influence. I think I think you know it's a nice nod uh, yeah. to, to where everything's come from. You know, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but I just picked up a bunch of Bandai action figures. They're not available in the, in the U.S. I had to get those through uh, somebody in Japan, but they've come out with six-inch figures. And they're very limited in articulation. They only have four or five points of articulation, but they're about six inches tall. And they also come with vintage-inspired packaging. So you have, you know, you have your blister, yep. and then on the right-hand side you have, you know, a picture of the actual character. And they also have the uh, the racetrack going around the uh, the packaging. So it's not a complete copy copy of what vintage looked like or can a vintage look like, um, but you can clearly see the influence there. I gotta send you some pictures of that if you don't know what they look like. These licensed as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they they just came out a couple of months ago. Amazing. Is, is there any figures in the of uh, the three thousand plus figures? Is there any vintage figures they haven't done yet? That that's a good question. I think there's like two or three left that they need to do. Really? And yeah, I think there's um, I, they've done some imperial dignitaries, but I think there's one which they have not. I don't remember. I think the the vintage one was a very specific imperial dignitary which they have not done yet, even though there are two different ones in the modern line. But I think right. that particular one they haven't done yet. They must know how much heat that uh, that figure gets because nobody seems to like that figure. Yeah. <laughs> what about uh, General Maydeen? Has he come out yet? Yeah, they've done him. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think they've. They've covered pretty much almost all of them, I think, multiple times as yeah. well. <laughs> so it's been nice to sort of, you know, discuss these kind of things and maybe have another look at the uh, the modern line because it there's just so much vintage in it. You know, I didn't really realize it, but uh, it is sort of replicated or inspired by, or you know, and it's it, right. it's fantastic to see. I think you know the vintage collection also had a really cool mail away besides the. Uh, George Lucas and Stormtrooper disguise figure, but they also did the, the rocket firing Boba Fett. That was a mail away. Didn't come on a card or anything like that. That was. It was a mail away, but it did come on a card. Right. Yeah. So you had to mail away for it, and then they, you know, a couple of months later they send you the box, and you know, yeah. And what was the rocket like on that? Was there anything like the uh, the vintage one? I cannot answer that because <laughs> I know Gus has uh, two of them. He has the L and the J slot, but I've never really taken my modern one over there and compared them. Right. 
So yeah, I, I don't know if they've they've uh, replicated the rocket uh, one by one. Uh, I don't know if they've replicated the rocket specifically to what the vintage one looked like, but uh, you know maybe I, I gotta check that out next time. Yeah, no, it's really cool, man. I didn't realize that they released the rocket firing Boba Fett as well. So there'll be people paint stripping them now and selling them on eBay for thousands of pounds. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure that there's some differences in the sculpting, you know. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> do, do you do you collect the uh, the prototypes at all? I've picked up a couple of modern prototypes over the years. Yeah, um, nothing overly expensive. You know, I usually look on eBay, see if I find something in the ten, twenty dollar range. But yeah, I've picked a couple of those up. Um, you might remember the cinema scenes during the Power of the Force two series. Oh, I love them. They were brilliant. Yeah. See, I love those too. And uh, I just missed out on a prototype. It was for three figures, and it was the Skiff Guards. Nice. Um, yeah, I didn't win the auction, unfortunately, but uh, would have loved to have those prototypes in my collection. Do you know what? I remember my little young teenage head that they brought out um, Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, Stormtroopers with Chewbacca in one of those cinema scenes, and it blew my mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember they were like going for like 40 or 50 pounds a box or something insane like that because like you know yeah. we'd never seen that before and uh, good times oh yeah I you know when it comes to Power of the Force 2 I have a lot of good memories you know I mean I know the figures were bulky at least they were bulky at first when they came out you know like all Arnold Schwarzenegger like but um, there's a lot of good memories with that line yeah especially like the um, I know people don't like the modern packaging but i really like the freeze frame figures mm-hmm. and you know just getting figures like the cantina aliens or ishi tib and i mean we never had those figures they were never released in the vintage line so to actually oh, yeah. you know have them come out and some of the sculpts i think as well from 97 98 it got so much better like uh Reese, i remember was fantastic sculpt mm-hmm. so, well we got a tarkin you know we got slave leia or the han solo and stormtrooper disguise you know um, those are all figures that we didn't have during vintage times, you know. You see, Chris, it's happening again. I'm going to contact Rich now and ask him if I can start <laughs> collecting Power of the Force 2 again. <laughs> it's fun, you know. I mean, you could probably pick up a lot of those figures for pretty cheap now. You know, we have um, we have a couple of comic book stores in our area where they, you know, they hang on the pegs for like f- anything between five and ten bucks, you know. So it should be, I mean, if you're going to get back into picking those figures up, you should be able to get those for a decent price. Yeah, I think Rich put, uh, he said that he was going to buy uh, the Power of the Force 2 figures, but he wouldn't spend anything more than £2 on a figure. And of course, they're, <laughs> all, they're all mint because everyone kept them in packaging. Right. You know, they yeah. probably, but you see that they're harder to come across loose than they are carded? That is a good question. Yeah, you might be right about that, you know. Everyone... Um, Everyone I know who had Power of the Force 2 had them on the cards. I don't think anyone, anyone opened them. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I, at the time, I was still living in Germany, right? Right. And uh, there was a very limited series that they did back then. It was just in Europe. And it was those card backs that had a, a bigger photo on the side. It almost looked vintage You know, they had the coffin blister on one side and the, uh, the character picture on the other side. And they only did, I think it's nine different figures in that subline. And I bought those back back in the days, and I vividly remember getting them and deciding for days whether I should open them or not. And I did open them, you know. But now those, I mean, they're not really 
I don't I don't want to say they're they're expensive on the secondary market now. They're just kind of hard to find, you know. So, but I've been going back and I've been trying to complete my set. So I have about six of them now. I'm still missing three of them. Uh, has any of the modern figures reached vintage prices? I know there's a I keep on hearing about this Weequay on the freeze frame card that I think one sold at an auction. It was a Canadian freeze frame with Weequay on it. It went for ridiculous money a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Weequay from the freeze frame series on a US card, you know, probably about three, four hundred dollars. Wow. Currently, yeah. Um, but if you look at the current stuff or the stuff that's come out between about 2008, I would say, and anything up to the vintage collection, so 2008, 2013, that time period is extremely expensive on the secondary market. Really? I mean, oh yeah, it outdoes the vintage Kenner figures by a whole lot. <laughs> um, Ahsoka Tano, for example, from the vintage collection goes for, I don't know, three, four hundred dollars carded. Um, <laughs> That's a that's a Clone Wars figure, you know. Um, yeah, I mean the vintage collection in particular is very popular. There's a Star Killer from the uh, video game series, The Force Unleashed. I mean that's another really expensive figure on the secondary market. Well, isn't there like a, a a Darth Raven or something? Yeah, I just saw him at a toy store the other day for about three hundred bucks. Really? Uh, do you know what? Anyone yeah. who's listening to this now is a vintage collector. I guarantee that they're going to be on eBay. Just yeah, go look. Yeah, go look it up. Actually, uh, somebody just told me that he saw an auction for all five modern Asona, uh, Ahso- Ahsoka Tano action figures, and it went for a little over a thousand dollars on eBay. Wow. And that's for five modern figures. So, so what happened there? Was it like a limited run, or you know, it really wasn't. But um, you know, I think there was a bit of a collector's fatigue at the time because Hasbro just brought out so many figures per year. I mean, there was a time period when they did about 300 different figures in a single year. I mean, that's crazy, right? Right. So a lot of the stuff didn't really sell, and it just sat around. And then in 2013, when when the vintage collection ended, Hasbro went ahead and said, you know what, we're just going to not do these super articulated figures anymore. We're going to go back to 5 POA, and we're going to do it kind of like Kenner style, still modern sculpting, but very limited articulation. You know, make it more kid-friendly, make it more durable, that kind of, you know, that's the kind of idea behind it. And now those super articulated figures that came out in that time period between, you know, 2008 or even a little before that already, up until about 2013, I mean, they're not really making those in big numbers anymore, um, you know. And so, yeah, the, the value just went up. And another problem that Hasbro has is because there are so many more Star Wars movies coming out and so much other Star Wars content, you know, novels and video games and what have you. They don't have all these slots anymore to produce all those characters. Right. right? They can't just they can't just go back and say, well, we're going to do, I don't know, we're going to have, you know, we're going to do Ahsoka Tano again, you know, or or these Darth Revan figures or what have you, you know. Um, because they don't have those available slots anymore. Wow. You know, they, tr- they try to have a Darth Vader on the store shelves. They try to have a Kylo Ren or maybe a Rey figure on the store shelves. You know, that's what's hot right now. So that's already three spots taken up, you know. So that's how they look at it. Got you. That, that's insane. I can't believe it. Uh, modern figures are going for more than sort of Empire Jedi Kind of vintage figures. Uh, do you think, um, th- does Disney have its own in-house toy makers? Because I know that they have a lot in the Disney store. You know, I was wondering 
whether they would decide to take the license away from Hasbro and you know, sort of do it themselves. I know they have like the Elite series, but that's not really figures. So even though they've got like a kind of action figure license, it's not actually an action figure license, so they can make those. Yeah, it's a good question. I I think Hasbro has the license until about 2022. Wow. So it's a few more years. So maybe 2020. Either it's 2020 or 2022. Um, and before that, I don't think we're gonna see a change. I'm not sure if I'll be okay with Disney just taking it over. I mean, I guess it depends on distribution, how they would handle that. I mean, the stuff that's exclusive to the Disney store is actually fairly exclusive because not everybody has a Disney store in their neighborhood anymore. Sure. Um, but you know, I guess you can get the stuff online easily through the website. But yeah, I'm not sure if I'll be happy about that, you know. Well, um, but you know, I guess there's a possibility. I mean, they are producing their own builder droids for their their theme parks. I don't know if you've heard about those, but they're the builder droid concept where you have different parts and you basically assemble astromech droids. Right. Right. Okay. Right. So they're already making those. But it does sound if you've got the license till 2022, Chris, you've got a busy couple of years in front of you. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, like I say, <laughs> as long as it's fun, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I wish I'm jealous, man. I wish I was having as much fun at the modern line like you are as I used to. You know, it would be fun to pop in the stores and and grab these figures and chase hunt down super rare Sokotanos. Well, listen, Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us on the Vintage Rebellion. It's been really interesting to revisit the uh, modern line, and hopefully so, you know, the listeners will be inspired and check out some of the stuff that we've been discussing. Um, a big thank you as well for helping us with our celebration poster. Oh, my pleasure. Absolutely. That's, Anytime. That was totally cool, man. And uh, those flew out. I don't think there's any left. Uh, that was really cool. Are you going to Celebration in Orlando? Yeah, I'll be there for sure. Yeah, I'm not quite sure to what capacity yet, whether we're going to take a, you know, a fan table or something like that, but uh, I'll definitely uh, I'll definitely be a representative for sure. Look forward to meeting up with you and, uh, and catching up. Oh, me too, man. Chris, thank you so much for, uh, for talking to me tonight, and uh, yeah, thanks for all your work. Thanks for having me. Nobody does Star Wars like the power of the Force from Kenner. The biggest, most realistic force in the universe. Only the power of the Force brings you the biggest heroes and villains straight from the movies. And the largest fleet of full-scale vehicles ever. We bring you the real movie detail of the Rebel Snowspeeder, the blazing light of the Luke Skywalker lightsaber, and the big movie sounds of the X-Wing. When it comes to big size, big detail, and big movie sounds, now you're playing with the power. Star Wars, power of the Force. Figures and vehicles each sold separately. Batteries not included, only from Kenner. And now the Market Watch. This month, the Market Watch returns to its regular programming, and we start with a look at CNT auctions in the UK. A nice little uh, pack of Palatoy 20 bucks, and the prices were pretty good. 
Uh, I know a few people on the forum had a, a bit of a pop at this. Simon Cowan had a, a couple of cheap goes. Rich, there was the R5D4 in there. 750 quid, not ridiculously bad price. Do you have one of these? I do now. Um, although I've missed out <laughs> with newest acquisitions, I did actually buy one. But that was £750, and then you've got the fees on top, which is yeah, yeah. how much? How much fees there? 20%, 25%? I think it's like the normal, so I mean, it takes it you know, close, close to a grand. So. Close to a grand, yeah. You know, I, I paid round about the 750 mark for mine with um, roughly the same condition, and obviously I didn't have the fees to pay. So I think it was probably on a touch on the high side because I've seen a couple around about the £1,000 mark at the moment. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I mean, Tracker kind of dictates that I mean, there's not a lot of those out there, but uh, Tracker dictates that it was quite cheap. I mean, that, that it seems to average about just over £1,300 for Wow. I haven't seen any of those. Until the car back, so yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I, that's over the last couple of years, though, Rich, yeah. so that's the last two years. So that, that suggests that that price, even with fees, is quite good. Yeah, what was weird? Um, what was odd about that, though? What was odd about the 20 bucks? I don't know, what do you mean? The, there was one that was missing. Was, what, what do you mean, one that was missing? The, the Luke X-Wing. The Luke X-Wing, the most common 20 buck was missing in the set. And yet you had the Power Droid there, which is quite a tough one to track down. So it was, it's just you don't see them without a look X-wing if anybody's got a set of twenty bucks. I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, the the ones that covered were R5D4 went for seven fifty. Greedo the same. Staggletooth went for six hundred. Death Star Droid nine hundred. Hammerhead seven fifty. Power Droid one thousand four hundred. And Warusman seven fifty. They're all about kind of on point to a little bit cheaper than Trekker suggests over the last couple of years. So. Um, Interesting, definitely I interesting. Think Jez um, it. I think Jez did a commando run into the auction house, <laughs> swiped the Luke X Wing. Probably, probably That's did. Actually, yeah, machine got my yeah. telephone number into the wall and said, Right, do one. Do you reckon Jez started this clown craze because you know he's, <laughs> he's got the bald head, right? So all he would have to do was just brush his eyes. In fact, actually, that's what probably was. He probably blacked his eyes on a commando run, right? Knowing Jez, he probably ran straight into a wall and bust his nose, so there was all the red around his lips. And then he, he breaks into the auction house and, and does a runner with a Luke X-Wing pilot branching about like an idiot. And then somebody probably saw that, and then the, the killer crown craze took off. <laughs> Jez, if you started this killer clown craze, is this your fault? No comment. Jez, do you wear a balaclava? <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> do I wear a balaclava? Yeah, only to yeah. bed. Yeah. <laughs> That's an outfit I've not worn in a long time. Is that a no? Yeah, uh, I, I haven't worn a balaclava for a while. No, consider it. <laughs> Carry on, Pete. Stu, did you uh, do you own a uh, Greedo 20 back? Yeah, I bought 20 one back? in um, a CNT auction recently. <laughs> oh, how much did you pay for it? Well, seven fifty, but then they stung me oh. with these fees. It was about more oh. than nine fifty, and I was like, "What's that?" So we had a bit of a row, and uh, they never sent it to me. I bought myself a, a BB-8 loose instead. And now. The top five priced figure-related items from StarWarsTracker.com At five, your name is Brewster. You're trying to spend $30 million and you just blew 337 of them on a loose and graded yak face. At four, it's a mint in box power toy Return of the Jedi ADAT or AT-AT for those who speak funny. Just cost somebody 488 North American money sheets. He's everyone's favourite bounty hunter. No, not Dengar, nor Johnny Alpha. It's son of Django, little Boba Fett, laying out on a 77A for 810 saucy greeners. 
just like Donald Trump, this guy's a big number two. It's a Chewbacca 12A for 852 green oblong sheets of cash. And slipping just ahead into the number one berth like a seal down a slide covered in duck fat, it's a loosey-goosey Uzai TIE fighter pilot from a Spanish seller for 860 bucks. See you guys next time on the StarWarsTracker.com Top 5. The prop store auction. Beautiful piece, then, as per normal. Now, Grant, I want to ask you a question. Right? I want you to think really hard. I want you to concentrate. Now, there was a TIE fighter pilot helmet, which I'm sure you had your eyes on. And it went for £180,000. <laughs> so £180,000. Now, do you know I'm obsessed with large amounts of money and compare it to houses? Now, Abergavenn is not too far away from you, is it? Let's put this into context. So, would you rather have two-bedroom cottage in Abergavenny, a two-litre Audi A3 Quattro, and a 14-day Caribbean cruise with enough money left over to buy several hundred Star Wars figures, uh, of carded or not, or a TIE Fighter pilot helmet? I want you to think before answering. No, TIE Fighter pilot helmet. I was really close to getting it. I just couldn't log in. Hundred eighty thousand. I mean, that puts it up there with the the leading Star Wars items. Grant, you got any context to, to why fine it's a piece of Star Wars history? But I don't know. Is it hundred eighty thousand? You know, you have to realise that I don't actually think that they made any for Jedi, which is the only real other appearance of a Tie Fighter pilot. And the ones that they made for Star Wars, most of them, well, some of them were reused for the Atat driver helmets that you see in the film. So it makes them even rarer. It's a difficult prop to come across, and obviously highly popular, absolutely fantastic piece. It was showcased on the Antiques Roadshow, which is a British TV program, uh, but they sort of they sort of brushed it to one side as some vacuum formed plastic, and then went on to probably whitter on about some piece of pottery or something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a stunning piece, and I mean everything in that auction. Uh, not even just the Star Wars stuff. They had the Bat Bike from the Dark Knight film. They had, you know, Captain America's shield, the clapperboard from Jaws, and I know that apparently that's a really big deal because Jaws, uh, Jaws items are really rare to come across. It's worth going to the catalogue. I was just happy to see this stuff, let alone known it. Just to see it was amazing enough. Star Wars was only a very small part of the auction. I mean, the actual sure. auction was hundreds and hundreds of pieces of movie history, especially you know, science fiction and fantasy movies. So, I mean, seriously, going to have a look. Now, guys, I ask you all to have a kind of look at through this auction and pick out a piece that you would, if money was no object. So, Grant, would, would that be the only piece you'd have picked out or was anything else no, there uh, caught your eye? I mean, all of it. The, the, the towers, the production notes, the contracts, the cast and crew items... Great Dragon Bones, the die line, Prince. Uh, that's all up my street, mate. I loved all of it. <laughs> okay, then, Rich, come on. What item would would uh, would have swayed you to sell your house, your kids, and your liver? Well, as as you said, it wasn't just Star Wars. For me, it was the re Harry Housen stuff, the the sketches and the um, mm. you know all that. The paintings were absolutely brilliant. I then obviously saw the Battle Star Galactica stuff, so I like the Cylon ship and things like that but from the star wars it was the the death star turret with base i thought that that looked absolutely fantastic and i'd love to own one of them and just you know set it up next to me palatoid death star and have me <laughs> x-wing and me tie fighter sort of like bearing down they've had quite a lot of those those pieces and they've had a lot of death star pieces there must be quite a lot of that sort of flying around because i mean i think the last auction we covered the prop store auction had 
quite a few turrets and bits of you know, the Death Star kind of yep. floor almost. Did any of you guys know exactly how much of that was, was kind of released? I mean, there does seem to be a lot of it. It comes up for auction. There is quite a lot of it, and you can you can pick it up quite easy. But what you will pick up is really small sections. The prop store will normally have a few pieces that are framed, and you'll get like a really small section. But you're looking at two to three grand for a small couple of centimeters squared of uh, Death Star. But that seems quite cheap. Piece of the actual Death Star. Well, I think I think the auction goes to prove that there was hundreds of items from many different franchises and bits of film history. But it was the Star Wars stuff that really pulled in the money. Right, Jez, what about you? It's really weird because I've, I've seen three things and I've just realised actually that all of them were to do with the making of the movies as opposed to being in the movies. I looked at the TIE Fighter pilot helmet and then I thought, right, what could I get for that money? And you could get a lot. I mean, the first thing I saw was <laughs> clapperboard, um, second unit Empire Strikes Back clapperboard, 27,000. It was a lot 449 and the estimate on this was eight to 10,000. Um, eight to ten thousand that's what they thought and it went for twenty seven and a half i mean but to have a clapperboard you know the old black and white clapperboard of empire strikes back there that's great i'd love to have that that would be awesome there was a lot of uh print had come off the clapperboard it wasn't in perfect condition i mean what else took my uh, attention was the uh empire strikes back norwegian crew clothing so this was mannequin with uh, the salopettes and jacket the whole thing covered in, in all the um in all the patches, these are the sort of things which you see in Gus and Duncan's collection as well. And this went for 13000 But I think if I had to choose one, it would be the ILM. It was a beautiful camera, which uh, was a motion control camera, called, uh, which was um, given the uh, moniker Rama. Now, this was 1977 camera uh, with all the bits and gubbins going with it, which it just looked in itself vintage on a little wooden tripod. This motion picture camera, it was lot 423, valued between 30 and 50,000. It went for 90, but it just looks so cool. It would just look beautiful, just go in anyone's collection. But there was something which kind of caught the headlines. This was the, the Luke Bespin figure that appeared in um, Indiana Jones' Raiders of the Lost Ark. I believe it must be the most expensive loose regulation figure, so from the kind of original run, <laughs> which... I went for £3,250 in the end. And I was just wondering, I mean, I had a quick kind of look through Star Wars Tracker and Vectis and anything I could find. And it seems like the most expensive graded loose figure uh, was the Darth Vader uh, double telescoping lightsaber. And that was $20,000. Only recently, actually, this year, the most uh, expensive uh, loose Luke figure was an orange hair Luke. went for 2600 and that was ungraded. I mean, technically, it's a custom Star Wars figure. But it's also an extra. (laughs) Do you know what part of the film it's from? Isn't it about the end when the the, the spirits come out of the the case and then kills everyone and they're just lying down? Yeah, when the Ark of the Covenant explodes in fire. I didn't know that, but there's a load of Luke Bespins, I guess, lying down. I know, but if if you look at the picture, it doesn't look like it. It doesn't look at all, but uh, I guess, well... it, 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 It does look a bit weird. It actually looks like people lying down, but... I mean, I guess that's that's uh, that's quite a, a big head up to the, the the sculptors of the original figure that uh, we never noticed that that there was just Star Wars figures lying around on the ground. But uh, he actually had a little hat made of tape as well. I just I, I don't know I almost feel con now <laughs> that I watched a film with uh, with Star Wars figures lying on the floor as extras. Well, you know, the, uh, there's a shot in Empire Strikes Back where 
Lander's head comes out the Millennium Falcon, and that's a action figure. But I mean, who do you think would, would have gone for that sort of thing? Would it, would it be a Luke Bespin collector, focus collector, or an Indiana Jones fan, or how do you, who do you think think that would have uh, would have appealed to? A prop collector, it would have to be. I mean, it is kind of a, a unique item, I guess. I'm assuming it's the only one around, or the one only one left, anyway. Yeah, I think it ceased to become a Luke Bespin figure and it's become an Indiana Jones prop. If there was a TIE fighter pilot, you know, painted a certain colour, would that not appeal to you if it appeared in the film? Let's just say it was just sitting on a shelf, you know, painted green or something. Wasn't E.T. a TIE fighter pilot? There was, there was actually a number of um, Star Wars figures doing the rounds in, in, in E.T. and Poltergeist as well that were kind of floating around the scenery and in all those scenes. I mean, uh, I guess you found out that the figure was in that. Would, would, would that appeal to you guys? Would that, you know, if, if you found... So, Jez, you found a, a Luke X-Wing pilot that appeared in E.T., and it was the only one. It had been like slightly, slightly, you know, touched up or you know, given a bit of beauty makeup. Would that appeal in your collection? Yeah, I don't think I'd go crazy price-wise over it, but it would just be a nice little novelty. Did they use Star Wars figures in Temple of Doom for the minecart race? I don't know. I, I tried looking out for for other figures used, but obviously it, the, the only search I could find were figures that were actually part of the scenery as such, but not actually used for production value. They use Star Wars figures for the previs for the speeder bike chase in Jedi. I mean, maybe if anyone out there can help us, who who knows about this stuff? I'd love I'd love to know because I bet. I mean, you know, these these figures are, are pretty well sculpted, and I guess <laughs> in movie making, especially with Spielberg and Lucas doing the rounds in the early eighties, I wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me. But if anyone knows, please come forward. Welcome back, Todd Hudson, for this month's Rapid Fire. Are you ready, Todd? Sure am. Favourite Star Wars movie? Turn of the Jedi. Favourite Star Wars scene? Probably when Han Solo gets frozen in carbonite. Favourite on-screen character? Han Solo. Favourite lightsaber duel? Guess Mace Windu against the Emperor wouldn't really count. Which actor or crew member do you most like to meet? Mark Hamill. Your favourite figure as a child? Uh, Luke Skywalker Hoth. And your favourite figure now? Han Solo Bespin. What one thing would you add to any of the 96 vintage figures to improve them? The way the lightsabers work on Skywalker, Kenobi, and Vader, for sure. Which character do you wish they'd made a figure of? Vlix, but I think Vlix is... A, do you count Vlix because they've already been made, but uh, prototype in most forms? Favourite toy vehicle or playset? Snowspeeder. And Always love that. That was my was my favorite toy as a child. Your favorite card back image? 2-1-B. I love that image. What is your favorite foreign license? Oh, Lil Eddie by far. And your favorite oddball item? I love the large um, Chewy. I think it's the Regal, the Regal Chewy, the plush. For some reason, I always thought it was really cool. What is your favorite unlicensed Star Wars? Oh, uh, the model trams. And what was the last vintage Star Wars item you purchased? It was a revenge nim num proof. And finally, what is your holy grail item? Luke Bespin, 12-inch flat from the Empire Strikes Back line. Wonderful. Well, Todd, thank you ever so much. It's been a pleasure, mate. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. 
On to our rapid fire question for this month then, and I am asking you from the AE walks, rank your top three. Pete. Oh, Ooh. oh Wicket. I, I have to say, Wicket's number one. I'm, I'm going to go with my traditional ones Chief Chirper and Low Grey. Really? Yes. Such a dull person. Grant. Yes. Are, are we talking action figures? Yeah, I'm not talking about real life ones. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Uh, Luma, Pablo, and Wicket. Uh, Rich. Yeah. I like baby ones, so Logie, Tebow, and I also like Wamba. Oh. Is Tebow the biggest? No. Is Low Grey the biggest? Jez, sure, uh, not Jez. Steve, surely you'd know. <laughs> Jezebel. Wicket. <laughs> Sorry. It's the answer to everything tonight, isn't it? So what I'd have, I'd have Wicket in the front to lure people in, and I'd have Lumat, right, and Warwick with their bows, because that's a, you know, that's a weapon system which has got reach as opposed to a stick. So I would want those guys for long-term offensiveness. So that'd be my dream team. Good stuff. When I was. What about? Can we choose what things? I like uh, Willie and Mookie. Oh, Latara. I thought you had Lisa. No, yeah. they're, they're, they're not. They're not walklings. No, you're walklings. Have we all got one of these? Because this was something we said six months ago. Now these aren't expensive, and I really hope you boys do put some bloody effort in because the rest of us do. I bet you, me and Grant have both got them. You got a walkling, <clears> Grant? Uh, yes, yeah, in the post. Which one have you gone with? The grey one. Jez, have you got a walkling? Yeah, of course I have. I got eleven. Can you swear on your children's <laughs> life? Nope. You couldn't even afford to buy a walkling out of all that money you made from your. Mock sales. Year's not up yet, little fuzzy bear. Okay. So uh, come back to me on the 31st. Okay, okay. Hold you to that. Rich, have you got one yet? No, I've got a swollen testicle. But I thought you had completed your loose collection. Surely Watklins are included. <laughs> what was random about that? <laughs> Pete, have you got a Watkling yet? Uh, technically, it's still on eBay. I haven't paid for it yet, and I don't own it yet. Right, let's go over to Rich then. Rich, do we have much feedback since the uh, release of the last show? Well, yes, Joe. Considering that we only released the last podcast 20 minutes ago, I was quite surprised about the feedback that we've got. And I'm going to start off with two, which and I love seeing feedback like this. One from a, a new guy in the forum called Mr. Cutsy, and another from a new guy in the forum called Cardback Kid. And they've both recently discovered our podcast, and they've said they're going to, they're going to go back listening to them all. And one of them have said that he's listened to all of the episodes in one week. Now, do you think that's actually possible, guys? Could anybody go back and listen to all 28 episodes, including the, the specials as well, in one week? Possible? If you say they averaged four and a half hours, so you've got four and a half hours, so that's 126 hours? Yeah. Plus a further six hours for the Christmas, 132 hours. That means he's listening to just under 19 hours per day. That is awesome. You've got to go. Got to give a round of applause for that. Nineteen hours a day. That's what we like to hear. So, Pete, we do get lots and lots of comments on your artwork that goes on the on the Facebook page and on Twitter and the forums and stuff. Lots and lots of people like them. Simon McCone, who was last month's guest, he came on and he says, you know, he absolutely thought the artwork was fantastic. You've given him a full head of hair. He's even said that his wife looks at that and thinks, my. Simon would look a lot dreamier with hair. Um, so, Simon, I recommend that you purchase a wig as soon as you possibly can. 
Moving on, Andy Gore in the forum asked about his collectible friends. Unfortunately, Andy, we didn't get any of your collectible friends in this time, but you never know. We'll go for next month. Now, uh-huh. Palafan come on the forum and talk about the Vinyl Cave Jawa, and I think this is something that Grant said, in that how can we say that the Vinyl Cave Jawa only come with one specific COO? And I think I said it may be only recognised with one weapon. But he's arguing that there are now a few except the COOs for the Vinyl Cave Jawa, and that both types of weapon have been graded with Afa. So, yeah, you know, we all said that Afa can make mistakes, but surely that makes a mockery even more now with this £91 naked Vinyl Cave Jawa if more than one CEO came with the Vinyl Cave Jawa. Andy Norton, Spoons, he loved the Duck R5 combination, asked where you can get one. So what I would suggest is that if anyone can tag Andy Norton into any kind of Duck-related R5 um, materials out there, I surely appreciate that, so please, lots of tagging on Facebook. Can I just say, Simon McCohen has actually got in touch with me and said he felt so ashamed to be one of only two idiots to own that piece, he has <laughs> sold his on. So you're now the only person that owns it, and I think the other one's about four, Rich. It's rarer again. Now, what was quite a bit of a surprise, I thought, was the last 17 chat, because that was something that would just sort of... You know, it wasn't quite a throwaway at the end, but it, it was towards the end of the podcast and it wasn't something that I expected to get a load of feedback on. So there was a lot of good debate on the forum of the last, I mean, uh, the chat when we discussed the prices of the loose and uh, lots of guys come on there and said, yeah, of course, you, you can spend four and a half, five thousand pounds on the last 17, but with a lot of patience, you know, you can get that you know, down to the close at the two thousand pound mark. So rich, it was, rich. Whoa, 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 whoa. It wasn't just thrown together. I did some... There's some heavy research on that. <laughs> and wasn't it during the acquisitions? It was. It was. It wasn't some thrown together piece. It was. Jez asked me to look into it. I looked into it. Came up with some figures. Look, started, <laughs> threw some uh, things. Ana- analyzed it. Analyzed it. Came up with some some conclusions and just throw it together. Me and Jez worked on it. pressed on a button. So um, moving on. Um, there were a few calls for the Rumble in the Little Jungle too. So a few guys have said that they would like to hear the follow-up <laughs> to the original Rumble in the Jungle. So if anybody does want to come on and discuss the, the Facebook versus Facebook or the Facebook versus forums. I think it's a great opportunity for some of the groups to come on and, and it's it's good publicity for their own groups as well. Come along and say why well, yours is the best. By all means, if anybody does want to come on, just contact any of us and when we're ready, we'll, we'll be in contact and we'll get that sorted out. Ron Salvatore on Facebook posted a fascinating historical account on the US store Lloyds and we briefly discussed a price sticker last month. It was a newspaper article which briefly detailed Ed Lloyd, who was the owner of Lloyds. And by all accounts, he seems quite a quirky entrepreneur who set up a store which sold a mix of everything from what I can see is bath plugs going all the way through to, you know, light fittings and and obviously Star Wars figures and toys. And to me, it's a bit like what we've got in Snoopers Paradise in Brighton. And it was interesting insight into how one man stood up against the bullies of the big discount retailers at the time and all the dirty tricks that they played and, and how he tried to stay afloat. But obviously, as with many of these stories, sadly, his, his customers left. They were attracted to the cheap out in the shiny stores and ultimately he had to close. Now, by all accounts and what I can read is that he sold everything. His store closed and sadly, within a few days of the store closing, he died. And it's a shame that because it sounded like a true character and thankfully his name endures to uh, thanks to Star Wars, thanks to Star Wars toys and, and the Lloyd's price sticker which is still available today. So so thanks to Ron, thanks for that. It was a great article 
and I urge everybody to click on our Facebook thread to go and check it out. Now, guys, normally we end the feedback section there, but Grant came up with a great idea about pushing the feedback back out to you. When we interview our guests and sometimes they say, oh, we're not sure about that, or even when we're talking amongst each other, we sometimes say we're not sure about that. So we've got a couple of things that we aren't sure about, and we would like to throw it out there to see if anybody does know the answer. So Grant, I think you've got the first one. You heard something that you would like to follow up on. Following on from my oddball section, I'd like to try and find out why card backs don't actually show that many figures anymore, or hardly any figures. Is there a reason for it? Is there a legal thing? Let us know. Yeah, that was a great oddball section, that Grant, and he did come up with a couple of theories, and each one of them sound absolutely perfect, so if anybody uh-huh. does have the exact reason, I'd love to hear it as well. And secondly, in the interview with Chris Jorgulius, as we're talking there, there was a couple of things that, you know, may be plausible, may not be, so... If anybody does know, who did the modifications to the moulds? Were they done in the Far East or did they come back to the USA when they were tinkered with and then sent back again? And why did the Tuscan Raider holotubes mod happen? Was it because somebody decided that if the Tuscan Raider had hollow tubes, it would look a little bit cooler? Or was there something else entirely different? If anybody knows, please get in contact with us. Uh, Stu, how can they get in contact with us? They can find us on Facebook by searching The Vintage Rebellion. Email us on show at vintagerebellion.co.uk, tweet us at SWTVR Podcast, or message any of us on the forums. If you're new to the show or fancy going back and delving into our archives, you can find all our shows on iTunes or directly at swtvrpodcast.podbean.com. Huge thank yous to Todd Hudson, Chris Jorgulius, Chris B and Mark Walsh for taking your time to speak in with us this month. That is about it for another month, so it is... Goodbye from Rich. Later, guys. Goodbye from Grant. Uh, vintage rebellions are built on hope. Goodbye from Jez. Wicked. Uh, see you later, guys. Cheers. Goodbye from Pete. I'm looking at the eyes of a man who wants to run. And it is good night from me. And remember, only you can decide with Star Wars toys. <laughs> This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual copyrights of the Vintage Rebellion. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? We haven't got a title. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, put, I'll give you three or four, nobody commented on them. The, the one that I like the most out of the ones I came up with was the Rebel Rialto. What does that mean? Well, he's a realtor, that's his job. So, the rebel realtor. Um, is that a bit of an Americanism? Well, he is American. That's very American. Yeah, I know, but... Yeah. Mm. Oh, I've got one, I've got one. <laughs> why do we call it... Why do we call it... Norton Antivirus? Yeah, you've got Golden Rod. We can kind of change Rod for Todd. Golden Todd's not bad. And maybe the artwork could be C-3PO with that hard-on Golden Todger. <laughs> and you could have Todd's head or something on it. <laughs> Um, why, why don't I put what efforts a week before the podcast is released? Into this? Uh, 
Right. If you put Todd Hudson in a n- anagram maker, you get odd donuts. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so random. What about odd donuts five o? What about um, Aloha Aloha Hudson or Aloha Aloha? Um, can't Aloha Todd Aloha. Well, we could just do a duck one. <laughs> the mallard strikes back. <laughs> <laughs> just go duck crazy. The whole thing is just duck related. Torn Todd. <laughs> Torn Todd. Torn Todd five o. Yes, and with split belly. <laughs> I can have someone just popping out of his tummy. Can you have him popping out? A tonton coming out of his belly would be brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I could do that. It's easy. And then, a, and then a duck coming out of the belly of the tonton. <laughs> so tauntod, yeah? That's great. Tauntod's so bad. We have but I like it. Tauntod 5-0. Tauntod 5-0. Can we have Aloha Tauntod 5-0 quack? <laughs> Tauntod 5-0 quack. No, aloha, Tauntod 5 People will think we've lost it if we just put a 5 on the end. Halloa, Tauntod 5-0 quack. That's so bad. It makes no sense. That's amazing. <laughs> I quite like that title. Halloa, Tauntod 5-0 quack. Yeah, exactly. Why, why do we need to be sensible? I can picture Rich just banging his head against the wall. <laughs> oh, Rich is fuming, don't you? He's stripping. <laughs> He's stripping down a horse as we speak. I, I, I'm, I'm going to vote for Hello, a Taunt Todd Five O Quack. <laughs> <laughs> What's everyone else's thoughts on this? Ask me as well. One hundred percent. Right there. I love the fact it's got Quack in there. No one when I was going on. I think it's brilliant. Jess, are you happy with that? Aloha, A L O H A. Aloha. Aloha. Tauntod 5 0 quack. That's the quack bit that's going to throw everyone off. <laughs> Aloha, Tauntod 5 0. Should we start? Quack. Let's get on with it now. Okay. Are you ready, Rich? Yeah, go on. Do, <laughs> we've just we've killed his spirit. Well, I, I think the title's absolutely dreadful. It doesn't fit with anything and. Y- 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 well, I do. There's loads, there's loads of that, right? Hello, uh, he lives in Hawaii. Tom yeah. Todd, his name's Todd. Yeah, but you can see... because he lives in Hawaii. Yeah. And Quack, because you collect duck-related but, items. Right, I think that duck joke's done to death now. You can kill a joke dead easily, and I think it has been killed. But I, I also think that if you're saying that the Rialta is too out there, <laughs> and which I would imagine that the, even though it's an American term, I'd imagine most people in, in Britain know what Rialta means, to say something like... Hawaii, I can't even see it, remember what it was now. Aloha Hawaii Duck Todd Quack or whatever it is. I think. I'm that's... Gonna, can I say something? I think yeah. ducks make the same noise worldwide. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's the, the thing is with with jokes. Jokes are funny until they're killed, and and I, I must admit, I thought the duck references on the last podcast it was funny up until about three quarters of the way through, and then it was just getting kind of oh right, we've got more ducks again, and then we've got more ducks again, and I'm just wary of. You know, I think we've already killed the joke. Pushing ducks onto a third podcast now, you know, it's just, I just, but this, this is all stuff that should have been happening last week, you know, we, sh- we shouldn't be doing it before we're recording. I can't see. <laughs> I, I am, I'm just disappointed with the, you know, the, the lack of, you know, everybody knows we need a title, but nobody's, you know, other than 
what two of us have put something in text chat or on the forum and you know this is this is where we are torn todd isn't bad it's it's not bad at all but the other one is just dreadful absolutely dreadful what about, what about, what about torn todd 50 torn todd 50 no no without the quack it's just you know what the, the the ducks has been killed, you know. It's 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 a joke that's been, you know, wasn't funny in the first place, really. But then it, it, to stretch it over three podcasts is, is killing the joke. It's titled a bit of a dead duck, isn't it? <laughs> uh, oh, Jez, you're driving quackers. Loads of clone words, crap. Just walk off the duck's back. I can't believe this is so mallard to get a come up with a title. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think a lower there, don't be afraid. Can we just have a, lo- a lower there? Just leave it at that. A lower there, 5-0. Quack. <laughs> <laughs>